When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to the post-game Buckeye Talk. The Ohio State Buckeyes victorious over the Indiana Hoosiers, but not by that much. A lot of consternation. We got a survey of tech subscribers that's really going to let you know what Ohio State fans are thinking after this game. Nathan Baird and Stephen Means back in their homes after covering this one in Ohio Stadium. I did not have chilies today. I did have winking lizard. I had wink. That's true. I I should tell Ryan Day. (laughs) You should not tell Ryan Day. Yeah, that's exactly what happened today. Maybe Ryan Day can pay for my chilies the rest of the season. Um, I had winking lizard post game, so I still ate some wings. But, but what a game! What a crazy game! And I, I, I posted this afterward. I wrote early last week, early this week, that maybe this would be like the 2013 Big Ten championship game against Michigan State. That of all the sort of possibilities, I never thought Ohio State was going to lose, but maybe that was the game it would be like. And it was so much more like that than I ever expected. Indiana's skill guys made plays. The defense had a plan. They were tough and they didn't give up. So we have a million text subscriber questions. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to go for a long time. But I want to double back to a question that was asked that we talked about on the on the Friday pod coming into this game to see what we think now. And this is kind of phrasing it. This is a new postgame question from the 415. Is Indiana a real team? That's it. That's the question, Sam from Seattle. But what that relates to, to me, is when someone asked us whether, I think it was after Stephen had gone to deal with Quinn Ewers. Nathan, you and I answered, if Ohio State would lose, would it mean more that Ohio State wasn't as good as we thought they were? Or would it mean more that Indiana was better than we thought they were? Ohio State won, but I still think there's a way for all three of us to answer this question. So Nathan, you at that time said, it would mean more that Ohio State wasn't as good as we as we thought. The way this game played out, which one are you leaning toward? Not so good as we thought OSU or better than we thought Indiana? I think um, in, in this case, the way it played out, better than I thought Indiana because of just how thoroughly they were able to exploit Ohio State's defensive issues in that second half. And I, I give a lot of credit to Michael Penix. I would also give some credit to the IU offensive quarter, Nick Sheridan, who I thought attacked Ohio State in some really interesting ways throughout the game. And a lot of it didn't necessarily – I think there was stuff that happened in the first half that got that got set up in the first half that paid off in the second half. Stephen, what did you think? More Indiana being good or Ohio State having problems? More Indiana is a lot better than I thought they were. I, I think we all came into this game, especially me. I'll speak for myself. I came into this game thinking, yeah, Indiana's pretty good. But look at the four teams they've played and look at the mess that they are. One is and the other two are Penn State, Michigan, 
I mean, th- this is just not – they didn't have the most quality wins in the world. And so I thought, yeah, this offense is going to keep humming. Maybe the Indiana's offense may be able to exploit some things in the secondary the way other teams have. But for the most part, Ohio State was going to roll away with the win, which they were at times. But they they disrupted Justin Fields, I think, a lot more than anybody thought anybody in the Big Ten would be able to. He, and he kind of warned us that, hey, they've been doing this to teams all year. But it's like, yeah, but they're not Justin Fields, dude. You – you seem a little bit more calm back there, but he seemed just as disrupted, disrupted by what Indiana was doing as any other quarterback they played. I also think it's much more Indiana. We, we sort of danced around some like fake good conversations this week. They're not fake good. They, they, I do think they raised their level. I think that was the best of them, right? And that meant no run game. They could not run in Ohio State at all. But I went through, I rewatched every throw Michael Penix made in this game. And I picked all the plays that I thought mattered that were more than just like a routine, a routine completion. Cause everybody has routine completions sometimes. And I broke down those big passing plays by which of them were a clear Ohio state personnel mistake, which of them were a, an Ohio state scheme mistake and which of them were just oh, Indiana being great. And I'm going to get to that later in the podcast, but there were certainly some where, Indiana was just great on a few throws, but I thought Wap Fillier, Ty Fry Fogle for real, Michael Penix for real. And then that blitz scheme, the Tom Allen blitz scheme and what they were doing, they had three times at least they had ran like a triple blitz with two linebackers and a safety. The first time they got a sack, the second time Justin Fields broke the sack and threw it away. And the third time Trey Sermon picked up the safety and they figured it out, but it didn't feel like Ohio state ever really made them pay for blitzing, right? I don't, I don't know that there was a thing where like, Hey, here, Indiana brought the house and look, Justin Fields, like found a guy really quick. It was a really good game plan. They were really tough. They were really smart. And this is again, not a question that I have right here in front of us more than 300 questions post game. I love them all. I'm going to read them all. I read about two thirds of them so far. We cannot answer them all, but someone had asked this last week off the Rutgers game. Does Ohio state have a problem finishing teams off? And as soon as Justin Fields got to the postgame podium today, he said Ryan Day was talking to Ohio State about that in the locker room. Steven, is that a problem? This game was 35-7. to Ohio State winds up winning by a touchdown. Is that a real thing that Ohio State, when it gets a big lead, somehow lets up? Yeah, I mean, they've done it every single week so far outside the Nebraska game. They were up, what, 35-3 against Rutgers, let them back in the game. We're up 21-7, to I think, against Penn State, let them back into the game. It's like they they come out every single game hyper-aggressive, literally from the first drive. I mean, against Penn State, the 62-yard run for Garrett Wilson. Today, the 75-yard series, basically, of Garrett Wilson. And then all of it, they kind of – I don't know if it's necessarily always the play calling or if it's just – how the defense is, is calling things or just how they're actually playing on the field. But it always seems to take their foot off the gas, but they do it a little earlier than they should be doing it. And it allows teams who might have a little bit of life left to just, to just hold on to that. And Indiana was just good enough to do it. You know what? But, you, I, I, but so there's a couple things about this. I don't think they stop being aggressive. I don't no. think that's it. No. You, where do they I actually think they keep being too aggressive actually. I don't think they know how to put a game away by actually dialing it back. I think people have a perception about this that that is off because I just show me where Ryan Day stopped being aggressive. Nathan go ahead. 
No, I mean, it's not just Ryan Day. How about the play where Justin Fields is in the grasp and is getting spun around for what he could have just taken as a sack or maybe thrown away out of bounds, but instead he throws it back over the middle of the field, trying to get to Julian Fleming, comes nowhere near him, and he gets picked off. I mean, that's the kind of thing that was costing him in the second half today, or, or some of the things that were happening on defense were costing him in the second half today, and I don't think it was necessarily um, a, a lack of, like you're saying, I don't think it was just that they were plodding along and, and mailing it in. I, I think that they were just they were just making mistakes in the course of trying to finish off the win in the second half. This is hard because everything Ohio State is is about Justin Fields. Everything. I mean, take Justin Fields off this team. Who knows where they are? He's the whole thing. But we have to talk about it a little bit. We were holding him basically to a standard of perfection through the first three games. It's like, what's the standard he set for himself? Oh, perfect. I have more touchdown passes and incompletions. We know the whole deal. So he wasn't perfect today. He was 18 of 30, three picks, five sacks. I thought that in the great push and pull of Justin Fields' career with Ryan Day, and when do you take risks? When do you throw it away? When do you take a sack? When do you try for keep hold on to the ball and try to do something? I've always sort of been on Justin's side, which is on the side of don't just throw it away. This guy has extreme confidence and extremely high skill set. He can run. He can throw. He can escape. Let him do his thing. To me, this was the first time in Justin Fields' career where I thought he went too far. I thought he was too far on the edge. These blitzes were after them. He got five sacks, three picks. And then I didn't think that there was enough on the other end that he did have a couple big runs, which were, you know, which were really important. He still does make plays, but in particular, Nathan, I thought the one, the play you just talked about was like a line in the sand. It's like, Justin, like, what are you doing? That's a bridge too far. 18 of 30, 300 yards, two touchdowns, five sacks, three interceptions. Steven, I know you wrote about Justin after the game. I thought he seemed very frustrated in the post-game yeah. news conference. That's the main word. He sort of answered two questions, and then he dipped into the, we won, didn't we? We won, which is what guys do sometimes when they're frustrated. And he didn't really want to talk about it. And I'm not trying to blame anybody. That's what I, I mean. I, I totally get it. But that's what the vibe was in the post-game news conference. I'm really curious to see where Ryan Day and Justin Fields and this risk-reward balance, where it goes from here. And before we talk to you about it, Stephen, I want to I bring in our tech subscribers. I sent seven questions out in a post-game tech survey. Basically, six of them were about the pass defense. I asked one question about Justin Fields. What is your level of concern about Justin Fields? The choices were moderate concern, was today an indication that he'll try to do too much in the future in big games. One was slight concern. He got a little loose today. And one was no concern. He's awesome. No concern won 56%. Slight concern, 38%. Moderate concern, will he do this again in a big game? 6%. Steven, what did this Justin Fields performance tell you? I think he was frustrated because he knew exactly what was coming and then he just didn't do any of the things that he was supposed from a game plan standpoint that were supposed to happen. That's what that face and that tone said to me, but I am not worried about Justin Fields. I, I asked him during the week when he was talking about his blitz and if it reminded him of any other team. And really I was trying to see if he would say Clemson, because when I would watch, I went back and watched an Indiana Michigan state game later on, like no, on Sunday, I saw a lot of what Clemson does. It's a, they have a Husky, which is what they call their, you know, bullet, you know, 
Viper, whatever the dual, the hybrid of the linebacker safety who just kind of roams around and see ball, get ball guy. But also they Clemson sends a lot of random blitzes from all over the place. And they got Justin with that a little bit in the Fiesta Bowl last year. Indiana kind of did the same thing today. I don't have a problem with the sacks with as much as he was getting blitzed, which Ryan Day said was literally every play. But I do think it's he learned today time and place. Learned, you know, yes, there's a time to be Justin Fields. And there's a time to live to see another day. And those interceptions, outside of the first one, because that's a good scheme play, the other two are a clear example of time and place. Throw it away, live to see another day. Or do what you were doing in the second half. And that's start using your legs. He's been not, he hasn't done that since the, since the Nebraska game. And it's maybe because Ryan telling him to stay in the pocket, maybe it's not. But the point is, that's a cheat code. They need to use that, especially as they get into the playoff. I'm sure it's Ryan Day telling them to stay in the pocket. Justin Fields does not do that without being told that. They're telling him not to run. 15 carries today. He gained 101 positive yards. He also had 23 lost yards with the sack. So he winds up 15 for 78 with the touchdown, including a big 30-yarder in there. He did break their backs at times with the run game. I do feel like it, and I only rewatched Ohio State defensively. I did not rewatch on offense. It does feel like to me when Justin Fields sees a blitz coming, as much as we he hit that hot route to, to Ruckert for a touchdown down the seam in that one game in the red zone, and everybody talked about it. I do feel like when he sees a blitz coming, his instinct is to hold it and try to escape the blitz rather than get it out of his hands right away. And I, and you can't, you can't have just good field. You can't let him be stop being Justin Fields. He has right. to be He's Justin good at Fields. It. But, but this was a little too much, whatever yeah. 20% too much. And I don't like the, a couple of the interceptions were bad. The five sacks was a bit much. I mean, like, I'm not going to say five, the five sacks was fine. There were a couple that were like, okay, dude, like at some point, you know, you got to pull the trigger on some of this stuff, but they just sold out. And I don't, Nathan, did you feel like there were moments where it was like, oh, they got burned on that blitz. It just felt like they were attacking. And yeah, I mean, they're going to, Justin Fields is going to hit Garrett Wilson for some stuff, but I didn't know that it felt like it was because of they, they figured out the blitz. Right. No, I mean, we early in the week, we asked or he was asked. It wasn't by one of us, I don't think, but was asked about Indiana's ability to create turnovers. And he said, it's not the DBs. It's this pressure. It's it. I mean, he described exactly what ended up happening to him as kind of what Steven's alluding to. Like it's quarterbacks are back there. The pressure starts coming. It's coming from multiple angles. It's coming on those delays that they do where all of a sudden, like a guy that you didn't even know was there. And all of a sudden he's shooting through a gap like that stuff starts coming and quarterbacks panic quarterbacks uh don't know kind of i think they get lost in the moment they they make bad decisions they turn the ball over and that's exactly what ended up happening to him on a couple occasions today and i think that was maybe his frustration at the end of the day was that he they knew what was coming and i don't think he handled it as well as he'd hoped it. it's hard to replicate that in practice i have to imagine like i don't know what your scout defense can really do to replicate a first string defense doing those things because the whole point of it is the unpredictability so you can't you can't in scout. You can't have your scout team do what you don't know the other team is going to do on Saturday. It's, it's impossible. So, it's I, I I'm curious what you. So uh, Stephen and I both did our grading the just grading Justin Fields video after the game. You you haven't been around the season, so you haven't been able to get on that time honored tradition. What would you have graded Justin Fields tonight? I probably would give Justin Fields like a C plus. We, okay. all, we, yeah. we ran the gamut of the C spectrum. Yeah. I was C minus and he was solid C. 
Because he did make some plays. He's yep. still, I mean, he's still, I mean, he's great. But he also kept Indiana in the game. He kept them around with some of his decisions that in the end, you don't, you don't win without Justin Fields. It's like, oh, you give me a C minus, maybe I'll just leave. And it's like, don't drop the class. Oh my God, don't drop the class. We'll, we'll give you an A, stay in the class. But he also, so he saves you because he's awesome. But there were times when it was like, man, and I want to get to this question. I want to see if you guys are feeling this at all. And then we're going to get off Justin Fields because he's tremendous and he had a weird day. And we're going to get to the defense and we're going to get to some other stuff. From the 3-3-0, I'm dead, Doug, or at least I will be about 25 years before I'm supposed to be. Am I the only one who thought the defense wasn't the problem today and it was more on the offense? Listen, I know we have no pass rush, but Fields looked off and it seemed like Ryan didn't want to lean on the run as much as I thought he should. Do you think this may be the wake-up call the Buckeyes needed? Let me ask these two other questions because there's a word used here that I found interesting. This is Jason in the 908. Cocky game calling by Ryan Day. And then this is from the 616. 616. I think Fields got cocky, thought he would complete everything he threw, and he had a bad game today. He was forcing stuff he doesn't normally do. And up to this point, when he did do it, he completed it. What do you think? So we have two things here. Did the offense wind up kind of putting the defense in some bad spots here? Because listen, it was 35 to seven. And the defense through about two and a half quarters was pretty good. Really. I mean, honestly, Michael Penix wasn't doing much. But also they had 35 offensive points, so how is that the, the offense's problem? But let's deal with that first before we get to the cocky. Steven, do you get that at all? That's sort of like, yeah, the defense clearly gave some stuff up, but man, the offense, mostly with the turnovers and some of the sacks, let Indiana hang around a little bit maybe. Yeah, yeah. I think there was a point in this game where things, if it had been the fourth quarter game, it ended somebody's headline somewhere, would have been like something around the lines of this offense is awesome, but today the defense won the game. Just because, yep. but after a while, but after, but after a while, if you if you keep putting your defense back on the field, it is, of course it's going to give up points. I wouldn't call it cocky though. I would say the play calling didn't necessarily you know tend to what Indiana's defense was doing. I remember the Penn State game. I wasn't covering this team then, but I just watched that game. Now I remember Penn State blitzed a lot in that first half in 2018 with Dwayne Haskins. They blitzed a lot, and the and the response to that in the second half was. Ohio State threw a bunch of short passes and screen passes, and they ended up winning the game. I never saw adjustment play calling from Ryan Day. It was still play action stuff. It was a lot of long doing routes where it's the Garrett Wilson show, which is great. Yeah, I, that's been awesome all year. But there was no adjustment in the play calling today where they do a couple short passes and they had the one screen pass to Trey Sermon that ended up for a first down. But for the most part, there was no adjustment to the amount of times they were getting blitzed on this offense, even helped Justin Fields and Justin Fields wasn't helping out Ryan day either by throwing interceptions and getting sacked. All right. So Nate, Steven just answered both, even though I said answer one and save the cocky thing. You're <laughs> describing right. cocky. You said they're not cocky. And then you said they didn't change anything. I, I, I felt like you disputed the word cocky and then described what might be a cocky approach to offense. And there's a fine line between cocky and confident. People love Ryan Day being aggressive. And I feel like Ryan Day went down this road a little bit in the postgame. It was, it was specifically talking about the fourth down play where they ran a naked bootleg instead of kicking the field goal when they were up seven. It was fourth and one. They could have run the ball. They could have kicked it to go up two scores. Instead, they run the boot. Justin Fields, by the way, Chris Olave is open in the end zone. Go back and watch that play. 
Chris Field, Chris Olave is between two guys with his hand up in the back of the end zone, perfectly in line with Justin Fields as he's rolling right, and he didn't throw it. And I'm not sure why he didn't throw it, but this to me is what, and this happens to every quarterback. I'm just very familiar with interceptions because I also cover Baker Mayfield. It's what happens when you throw a couple picks. You throw three picks, and all of a sudden, when you actually have an opening, you don't take it. Because now it's fourth down, but you don't want to throw a pick in the back of the end zone. And listen, Chris Olave has a guy two yards behind him and a guy two yards in front of him. Justin Fields is going to hit that window 99 times out of 100, but he didn't throw it. And, and it's actually, Stephen, something you talked about with Justin earlier in the year when he didn't throw it to Garrett in the end zone on a roll right, mm-hmm. and he decided to run. I think he got to the one-yard line, then they got in. I think sometimes when Justin feels like he's in the open field on a rollout, it's like, well, you could throw it. He's like, well, why would I throw it? I'm going to run it. There's less, a little less risk in that. And I think he thought he was going to run it. And then Luke Farrell's guy came off of him. And then he tried to flip it to Luke and he flipped it over his head. So it was a weird play. But Ryan defended that play call, both not kicking the field goal and deciding to run that play by saying, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to be aggressive. And everybody listening to this podcast loves it when Ryan Day is aggressive. And they all hate it. We all do. You hate it when Jim Tressel buckles it down or when Urban Meyer buckles it down and starts to slam it into the line and saying, we're not going to give it away. I'm not sure Ryan Day quite has that mode yet. I'm not sure Ryan Day has up by 28 in the second half. Let's run the ball mode. I'm, I, I really don't know that. I, I'm trying to think specifically every game he's coached. Does, did he have it one game? But to me, that's what that word cocky means. The belief of like, no matter the circumstance, we are who we are. We do what we do. We believe in ourselves rather than just sort of like, okay, let's, let's turtle up a little bit. But as soon as you turtle up and they catch up, then everybody complains that you're too, you're too conservative. But I do think if you are complaining that Ryan Day is too conservative, I think, I think it's actually the opposite. So, Nathan, is there some part of this that goes on the offense for maybe putting the defense in some spots or not putting the game away? And what do you think of the word cocky? Well, I think cocky is interesting. I, I will say like, we saw what Ryan Day, they throttled it down. And I thought in the second half at Penn state a little bit, I mean, they, they, they kept driving, but they drove with their ground game in that game. And it used a lot of clock and that's how they ended up winning the second half of that game. I thought, I know that might, but not we be also talked about, about Justin Fields had a drop back with four minutes left out of that game and took a yeah. blitz in the back that almost ripped him in half. And it's right, like, right, okay. right. So I'm just saying that like, it, there is there that, that prudent approach is still there to some extent if they want to use it. What I think is interesting. I want to go back. So the cocky thing goes in effect with something else you're talking about goes in tandem with it. The reason Justin Fields didn't throw that ball, I think, is because, like you're saying, it's like that's what happens when quarterbacks throw picks. We've never really seen Justin Fields rattled like this before. I would say the the early in the Michigan State game last season, we saw it a little bit, which is when he threw his first pick last season, I believe. Um, and I don't even really think we saw this in the Clemson game in the semifinals. We've never seen him – we've never seen a team get in his head the way Indiana did today. And it's not just what happens – when you've got a guy in your face, it's residual. It sticks with you. It's wh- And especially the way the Indiana blitzes. It's, okay, I don't see it yet. I don't feel it yet, but is it coming? Is it right behind me and I can't feel it? What's going like that? And I'm not, I'm not mocking him for it because that's why they do it. That's why Indiana has been successful. And that's why it's difficult to play them. 
So I think both of those things go hand in hand, though, because if you've got a quarterback who's out there rattled and then you start calling plays or keep calling plays, I think the way Ryan Day did, I want to go back and watch the game because I want to see on the offensive side of the ball, how many times were they still running these going deep, with the, going heavy on the play action, going heavy on these longer developing routes. When I agree with Steven, I think that there's a way you could stay aggressive, but just change the play calls a little bit and be a little bit more like, I don't know. They barely targeted a tight end today. I don't think they had any completions to tight ends today. They don't use the backfield. They don't use those guys out of the backfield very much. They threw that screen pass to Trey Sermon. I turned to Steven. I'm like, is that the first screen pass they've run like <laughs> this season? And I know that's again, when you've got, Garrett Wilson, you've got Chris Olave. Maybe it's stupid to spend a lot of time running screenplays, but it just seems like I agree that I think it's not necessarily cocky. I think you've got to keep your foot on the ground. I think the, the play designs were cockier than the way that they approached the second half, just in terms of. But that's what we're talking about. There's no difference. The play yeah. designs are the cockiness. It's not just do you throw. I mean, if they're out here throwing three-yard swing passes, that's not cocky. They were calling long developing routes against right. the blitz. They were not reacting mm. with with shorter throws, with simpler throws. They were still trying to make them pay down the field. And it, you know, they weren't trying to hit a six-yard slant against the blitz and let somebody run. They were trying and to I, let stuff develop. That's what we're talking about. There's no, right. it's not just throwing, it's the type of routes. Right. And I think the complicating factor, as I was saying, is that I think Ryan Day was calling plays not for the Justin Fields that he had in the second half of this game. He was calling plays for a Justin Fields who wasn't rattled the way that Justin Fields. But was, was he right. was it was he calling plays for the situation? Was he calling plays for with a lead in the second half against a top 10 team? I, I don't know. I do feel like, because part of the point here, you're talking about the pressure that Indiana's defense is putting on Justin Fields and maybe trying to rattle Justin Fields, maybe rattling Ryan Day. You know who also was blitzing Justin Fields at some point in the second half? Michael Penix. Because when you have a quarterback on the other side who's doing that, then Ryan Day and Justin Fields are like, well, what are we going to do? Hand off to Master Teague 75 times? Penix is putting up bombs, bro. We can't, we can't turn it off. I think that's a, that's a heck of a thing. And this goes back to some of the Indiana respect. They had a quarterback making throws and a defense applying pressure. And that turned out to be a really dangerous combination. Cause if you don't only have one of those two things, all right, well, the defense is getting after us, but if we just run it, try to hold the ball, whatever, they're not going to do anything offensively. Or if you feel like, well, Penix is going nuts, but they're never going to stop us. Fine. We're up four scores. That's trade touchdowns. That combination, the second half, Nathan, man, that's not, there's not many teams who can bring that, which is why I think we all three of us came around on this was Indiana. I think deserves a lot of respect for this, mm -hmm. but that aggressive blitzing defense and a quarterback making big times throws. That's quite a Hoosiers game plan. No, I mean, it, it worked well. I, I thought, and I agree with the, what the texture insinuated was that if they maybe had leaned on the ground game a little bit more, that, it might've been a, the better approach in the second half of this game or done it earlier. I mean, I thought they could do what they wanted to as a running. I mean, they ran for 307 yards tonight. I think they, they, the T, run game was there all night. I think master T earned some credit tonight. Uh, he's clear. First of all, he's clearly the number one back at, at this point. This is not a split anymore, which thank God it's about time. They decided to do this. And I think that's part of it. They wanted to, this was like master T's chance to show, to show that he deserves this level of carries and he did the most with them. So we'll see if they get into a situation like this against Michigan state or Illinois who, I mean, that game's not going to be close, but if we get into a situation again, they might lean on master Teague. If it's a big 10 championship game, let's just say they're playing Northwestern. They might lean on master Teague a little bit more because he's proven himself in this game. Watch what you said. 307, 307 to one. About, 
Watch what you say there about Illinois, Stephen, because the Illinois Twitter account might hear that and come after yeah, you. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Whether they, whether the way they went after Nebraska after beating Nebraska, they, 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 they threw shade at Nebraska and then they had to take it down. It was too funny <laughs> and too real. And there's, so they had to take it down in the end. There's, there's less shame in losing a football game than there is to still mispronouncing a name of a state of <laughs> this country, by the way. Oh, God. You two <laughs> are going to kill each other this week. Um, but, but I mean, 307 to one was the rushing discrepancy in this game. From the 704, I think everyone is on the same page with what went wrong. I just want to shout out Master Teague. If he doesn't step out, we are in serious, serious trouble. Do you, if Master Teague had not looked this good, would Ohio State have been in serious trouble? Like if you felt, if, if Ohio State felt like, man, I, when we hand it to the tailback, we don't believe in it. Well, no, I, I, I don't, and I don't want to take away from Master Teague, but I, I thought this was a, a good game in the run game by this offensive line mm -hmm. and by the tight ends. I thought Ruckert and Farrell did a really good job blocking and like the, the 41 yard touchdown that master T had, that was the, it was the two tight ends stacked up on the left side. They go set that edge. Thayer Munford gets out and clears a, a block and then it's just gone. Like, and then credit to him for hitting the hole and turning on the afterburners. But the, the line had, had, a, had a lot to say about those 307 yards today. They, they looked the way that we thought things would look where if master T or Trey Sturmer were going to get yards, it was going to be because of the offensive line and about 70% of both of the sermon and NT's yards were because the offensive line did its job. In the end, master Teague 26 for 169 and two scores, Justin Fields 15 for 78 and one score Trey sermon nine for 60. Uh, I did think to myself on that 41 yard master Teague touchdown run that if that had been Trey sermon, it would have gone for 17. It would not have gone for 41. You but, mean he would have danced around a little bit in the hole? I mean, this would have run into a linebacker. The, the other thing, but Trey Sermon had a huge carry in the drive mm -hmm. that like kind of put it away at the end on a third and four after they like did not run it with the running backs inside the 10-yard line. I think on third and four, they ran Justin Fields, and then they, again, tried the naked bootleg on fourth and one. The next drive, when they get it back and they've got to put this game away, they just run Trey Sermon off the right side on third and four, a pretty standard handoff. And he kind of follows Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, Nicholas Petit Frere, and basically puts the game away there. I actually still thought he kind of missed the hole. But bottom line is he got the first down on that play and he needed to. I don't know. I don't know if I sense this from the 4-4-0. Was it just me or did it finally seem like Ryan Day was willing to interchange Master Teague and Trey Sermon within drives. Teague comes in on the goal line, even though Sermon drove them all the way down. Sermon came in during a clear passing down, even though it was Teague's drive. I do think sometimes on a long drive, if the line goes, if the, the drive goes for a while, a guy gets tired, they take a guy out. They're not going to leave a guy in for all 11 plays of a drive, for instance. So I, I don't know if I sense that. I did sense 26 carries for Master Teague, nine carries for Trey Sermon. So uh, early on, Master Teague got like the first four series with Nathan. You know, Nathan pointed out it was like, well, the first series was like two plays. Then there was like a one play series, yeah. and there was like another two play series. So they were trying to let Master get a little bit before they put Trey in. But that was not an equal balance, right? Is that whether it's within a drive or whatever? Do you think twenty six carries to nine is sort of the future that we're headed for with this backfield? Yes, we I talked think, about this. Go ahead. I think Trey Sermon's the spell back now, and Master Teague is just a starter at this point. Even there was a drive when it was just the Master Teague drive, but then he came up limping after a tackle, so he just came out the game, and Trey Sermon had to go in for him. But, yeah, I think this is what it's going to be from now on. 
we, we talked about this early in the week and it, we posited this, would this be the game where master Teague separated as far as carries and in the context of what we expected from the game where we were thinking it might be a three touchdown or more game. I said, no, because I think they needed to keep Trey sermon in there to get him going. But in a game that's close, I mean, this is it's twice this game, the Penn state game, they ride tr- master Teague for the most part in the second half of these games. And that's who like grinds these games away, which makes sense. So I think that's the approach that you're going to expect to see the rest of the season. From the four Oh five, did the running backs finally get their stuff together? Or was it the offensive line just completely dominating Indiana? I mean, I thought the offensive line did block well in the run game, but master Teague did his job. I mean, I think master Teague gets a lot of credit for this today, but all it was, it was, it was working together. I thought it was working together better than it's worked all year. Um, so I don't know. We have to divide it up. It was a good, it was a good, solid run game all around, right? Or did you think it was more one or the other? No, it was a combination because, and then there was even a play early in the game. It wasn't the 41 yard touchdown run, but it was another long run that Teague had where it was like, it was almost like the hole was at the hash and he just ran like literally like straight up the hash and like just never left that space of the, of the, left or right it was like and i'm like that's exactly what in it, when ryan day dreams about master teague running the ball which he doesn't by the way he never dreams about anybody running the ball except maybe justin fields but if you were to dream about master teague running the ball that's exactly what in his dreams a master teague run would look like he's physical and he has some chances where he was physical out in the open field but he, his wiggle is hilariously bad i remember he's coming off this he's coming down the sideline he just he just trips over. He trips over his own feet because he's too heavy and he has no wiggle whatsoever. But when he had a chance to break tackles and be physical out in the open field, he did his job. From the 937, fire Ryan Day. That's a stupid play call. Get the field goal and take a two possession lead. Fire the Ohio yes. State defensive backs. Fire Kerry yes. Combs. I get that the scheme is potentially a good scheme, but it only works if you have the players who can handle it. They should be playing more zone. So we're going to get to the defensive backs. Did you guys, with the, with the idea of not kicking the field goal there, because Jake Seibert had missed a whatever it was field goal, 40-something yard field goal earlier, and he didn't miss it by much. He just sort of pushed it a little bit left. I mean, it wasn't like he shanked it. It wasn't like – it looked like a pretty decent kick, and it was almost good. It's a freshman who's going to be their kicker. It but it felt typical, like – go ahead. It was a typical college football missed field goal. Yeah, and it, but it felt like Ryan Day lost confidence in yeah. him after that. So – do you think that Ryan Day sh- – first of all, this, short answer. Should Ryan Day have kicked the field goal there up a score in the final minutes rather than going forward on fourth and one? Steven, should he have kicked the field goal? Given the situation, yes. To go just, up two I mean, scores in the final minutes? Yeah, just because your defense was reeling and at that point just take the points – to make it a two score game so that you're not only yeah. up one score, whether you have a great defense or not. Yeah. So it's well, a two score game. Yeah. But I think the fact that your defense wasn't playing well is, is part of that. Yes. Because if the defense was last year's defense then you can be more aggressive because you know, your defense is going to get a stop. You don't know that with this defense. It's under five minutes. You would have gone up 10 points. If you make it, if you make a chip shot field goal, about as close as you can be. It was you a, go up yeah. 10 points with, with like four and a half minutes to play. So Steven says kick the field goal. Nathan, kick the field goal. That's what I was double-checking too. They were Because I, I was trying to remember exactly where they were and they were at the seven-yard line. Um, but they didn't, they didn't have to get to the end zone, right? It was fourth and one. It wasn't fourth and goal. Right? Correct. I'm just saying, but I'm just saying what the distance of the field goal was. Because I think there is a big difference between asking someone uh, to make a 44-yarder, and, and I'm not sure what the wind was doing down there, and someone to make a 24-yarder. 
Yeah, twenty. Yeah, twenty-four yarder. Um, which, if you're trusting him to kick extra points, you should truck him, trust him to kick a twenty-four yarder. I probably would have kicked it. I probably would have gone up ten and said, um, and then then you're because then you're forcing Ohio State or you're forcing Indiana to not only score but get the ball back and then score again. Like it just exponentially, it's so much tougher. I would have kicked the field goal. I actually didn't have a problem with them not kicking the field goal. I didn't like the play call. I think you. I just would have run it. I practically would have sneaked it. It's fourth and one. Yeah. So they had already done it too. They had already run a QB power with Justin Fields earlier in that same drive. Yeah, they and they had. I mean, they had run Justin on third down, and he got three yards. They ran Justin Fields on third and four. They ran him left for three yards, and he kind of slipped, or he would have gotten it. You, you're, you have a yard to go, and then as soon as you run a bootleg like that, now it's you're it's you don't only have a yard to go. Now you have yeah. fourth, and now it's fourth, and got to complete a pass. Right, whatever the yardage is, because again, the open throw is to Chris Olave in the end zone, so that's not fourth and one anymore. Or flip to Luke Farrell. I, I didn't like it in that moment. No matter how good Justin is, and yes, I under, I, I think you've got to believe in your run game there. The, actually, the fact there, as much as Master Teague deserves a lot of credit today, that they got to the ten yard line, and were not going to kick a field goal. And it was third and four from the 10 yard line, and they didn't hand it off to a running back on either play. I think gives you some indication of what Ryan Day actually thinks about this run game. Right? Does it not? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I also yeah. think that, I mean, that play call fits into that kind of cockiness that you're talking about before in a lot of ways, too. Like, there's nothing that frustrates me more in football, very few things in football that frustrate me more than when it's, something in inches, third inches, fourth in inches, especially fourth in inches, and somebody like hands off to a tailback or pitches it. I'm like, what are you people doing? And this is a perfect example. Like you've got the offensive line. You know you trust your tight ends to add protection or add, you know, solidify the game beyond that. You could even put Teague in the game. I don't know, but like there's so many other options you have to get that one yard. You could have just – You made it harder on yourself. You added a, a degree of difficulty to executing that play. You could have guessed QB snuck it like you did against Nebraska like seven times. Which is where we started, I think, the cocky conversation. Is that like, why are you, you, you so believe in your play calling and you so believe in Justin Fields? I mean, I, I, yeah, a sneak, a sneak is right there. Or just hammer Master Teague into the line. It's, again, and, and I get it. I get it. I mean, but also I'm not going to apologize for it. It's football. This is what we do. If they hand off to Master Teague there and the, you know, the safety blitzes off the edge and trips them up in the backfield, everybody's going nuts and saying, why'd you run it? Everybody knew you were going to run it. But the idea that like part of Ryan Day's defense of that was like, it was there. It was like, well, it was open. It was like, yeah, but you still got to complete it. You don't get, you don't get a yard because the, the, the play call, open something up you've got to do the thing and then you didn't do the thing because even throwing a two-yard pass on the run to Luke Farrell is more difficult than running a sneak so I, I I thought it was I thought Ryan Day got caught a little bit and there's a couple more things I want to get to before we get to the defensive backs which are going to take up nine hours see if you agree with this from the 614, is this the first game in the Ryan Day era that Ohio State has been outcoached on both sides of the ball? So we don't have to put it in historical context, but do you think Ohio State was outcoached on both sides of the ball today? Both sides of the ball? I mean, that's again, they were up 35 to ball. 7 early in the third quarter. And I think that needs to be brought up because it does change the complexion. But I don't. This is way different than Rutgers, though. 
It is different than Rutgers. It is different than Rutgers. Absolutely. I I think I think Coach Combs was outcoached. I don't think they were outcoached on the offensive side of the ball. I just think they were. You don't think you don't think an Indiana defensive plan that sacked Justin Fields five times, intercepted him three times, held Ohio State to forty-two, and I do mean held. And by the way. One of the Justin Fields interceptions was then restripped by Julian Fleming. So it didn't hurt Ohio state at all. You don't think the Indiana defense outcoached Ohio state's offense? No, because a lot of those mistakes were not scheme related. They were Justin Fields, not making smart decisions related. You don't think it was based on Indiana getting in his face a little bit? I understand was, what you're getting at, Doug, but they, the, Ohio State also put up 600 yards. Okay. Yeah. But defensive, defensively, and 42 yes, points well, and 42 points. Not a yard game. It's a, it's a points game. 42 points, which 42 sounds points, good. 42 points and a missed field goal and a not getting it on fourth and one at the seven. So, and I think they points had, on top of there. And I think there was a play where they were rolling and they got a first down, but they ended up giving Wyatt Davis a personal foul penalty. Listen, oh boy, that's a lot of excuses. Indiana also had an interception that got knocked out of their hands by Julian Fleming and was an immediate turnover off a turnover. They had another 51-yard completion off a busted coverage, and the next play, they complete a pass and the guy fumbles it, and they lose the ball in the red zone. So if we're going to play make excuses for why it didn't score, we could play make excuses for why it didn't score, but if we're talking about out-coaching, we just said Ryan Day out-coached himself on that fourth-and-one bootleg. So now we're not going to say that's outcoached. Who has better players, Ohio State or Indiana? Ohio State does. Indiana took them to the wire and lost by seven. So who coached better? That, I think I, that's a fair point. Yeah. I thought, I thought Indiana's defense was going to take some risks. Yes, they go, gave, gave up a boatload of yardage. But they were going to play some boomer bust defense and really really they didn't get super busted by it they got busted by the stuff that everybody gets busted by which is garrett wilson be a garrett wilson that was as good of a defensive that was a d'antonio-esque defensive game plan you're not going to shut down these guys but you got to force them into mistakes every now and then they're gonna get you ohio state's gonna get you offensively i thought that was a really good defensive game plan and then offensively indiana ran for negative yardage but still found a way to move the ball because they got some matchups, they schemed up some stuff. We'll get to it. Ohio State made some major mistakes, but you credited Nick Sheridan, the Indiana offensive coordinator, off the start of this, Nathan. They, they had some offensive sets, that bunch set, the trip set, bunch look. Ohio State didn't know what to do out of that a bunch, uh, several times, and they got burned on that. And they protected Penix enough. Ohio State, conversely, they did. They got, and actually, I mean, we can get all into this. Ohio State's defense in the end, the last four minutes, did what it had to do. Like, it got beat up a lot. They did get pressure on a third down. They did start locking up some coverage late when they were back against the wall. But I don't know that I thought that Ohio State was was really scheming up some stuff to really throw off Michael Penix. So, yes, but I – so I guess – I guess I would say that's a fair thing to say. I think I might say it. Ohio State was outcoached on both sides of the ball today. But I, I do want to get your opinion, Nathan, on the how does the 35 to 7 factor into that? How, how do you factor in? Well, Ohio State get, did get up 35 to 7, but this wasn't a blowout against backups where they're running trick plays. This was just they just almost blew a 35 7 second half lead. So how do you factor into the coaching evaluation? 
Well, no, I mean, but I think anytime, I, I think this, anytime it's a, it's an, it's a lobster, it's sided score like that. I do think when you're talking about younger people, it does affect games. It does like it, it it's historically, you can look back, it does affect games. And I think I'm not, that's not an excuse. I'm just saying that that is a thing that happens. And that is something that Ohio state needs to address because now it's happened two games in a row. That's where I think it's not so much that they, um, that they're too conservative and that they have a, what we were talking about before. I think it's maybe that that killer instinct isn't quite there in some ways, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But that's where I, that's why I quibbled with the idea of outcoached on both sides of the ball, because I, again, when you put up 600 yards of offense, I don't really see that Indiana outcoaching Ohio state's offense. I do, however, though, think that on the other side of the ball, Ohio State supposedly did what it thought it wanted to do. I, we talked during the week about making Indiana one-dimensional. You know, you shut down their run game, and now Michael Penix has to throw, and you're making him throw on on your terms, making him throw um, in you know off-schedule, third-and-long situations, and they still put up 491 yards. And he dropped back 51 times, and you sacked him twice. And I know they're getting other pressure. I know they're affecting him because he only completed 27 of them. But I think you've got to get home more than that and and get to them more. I, that's where I thought you could make the, a much more a much better argument that Indiana's offense outcoached Ohio State's defense. Which it was forty-two to twenty-one going into the fourth quarter. Who that, cares? That, I mean, what is that defense? Okay, that's a fact. So so what? What do, what do you mean by that? They had a three. They had a three touchdown lead going into the fourth quarter. So what? What's that? What does that? Make That's why I would about. put more of the onus on the defense got out coached than Ryan Day's offense getting out coached. An offense that did not score in the fourth quarter, an offense that got sacked five times and threw three picks. You don't think there's an argument for that? You guys are not, making some weird is, divisions. You're saying, well, they were ahead by a lot at this point in the game. Who cares? But where does your where does your line of when something is a reflection on the coaching and when something is a reflection on the individual who isn't succeeding at their job on the field? Ohio State has more good players than Indiana almost won. Justin Fields, who's awesome, looked as rattled as we've ever seen him look. Is that coincidence? Or you think that might have been defensive coaching by Indiana? It, well, I even you, said when's, that earlier when's, in the podcast. All right, so that's one. Okay, so let's all agree. Ohio State. So, but you guys are also making opposite. So, so Stevens' point is that Indiana's offense might have outcoached Ohio State's defense because Ohio, right? That's what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. And Nathan, you're saying that Ohio State's def. You're you're saying the opposite things, and I'm agreeing with both of you that you're saying. No, Ohio State I think has. We're both talking about. Wait. Okay. Wait. We're both okay, talking I think about we are, I think Nathan and, I are, not- Nathan and I are in agreement that Kerry Combs got outcoached today. Where we are in a disagreement with you is that you also think Ryan Day got outcoached. So why the- did Justin Fields look more rattled than he ever has in his career? Coincidence? Because that's what Indiana does. Again, I- Indiana's what? Great players? I think Indiana does have some pretty good players, obviously. But I think, come on, come name on. Name one, name one, name one Indiana defensive player right now. Name one Indiana defensive. Don't look at your freaking sheet. You can't name one, and neither can I. You know why? Because it's about the coaching. 
I think I think to the point of what, what Nathan was asking about when sometimes it's just the individual who's not doing his job well. I think a lot of what happened with, with Justin Fields was because of what Justin Fields was doing with his decision making. Because, oh my God, but he's never done it before against any other defense. You think Indiana's defense had nothing to do with it because they were blitzing him and putting pressure on him and forcing him to make worse decisions than he's ever made. You're not saying that's Indiana's defensive coaching? We'll get it's off. It's absolutely the Indiana's defensive coaching. That's their design. But Ohio State still put up 600 yards and 42 points and was in position to put up other points if it had made a field goal and made it a different decision there at the end of the game. When I think it's out coaching, it's more than just one player who was out, who was struggling with this. And with the defensive side, clearly we're going to get to this, but that was the entire secondary. That wasn't just, oh, we picked on Sean Wade or, oh, we picked on Seven Banks or, oh, we picked on Marcus Hooker. On the other side, that's just Justin Fields making mistakes. It wasn't You're like crazy. Chris Olave. You're crazy. You're crazy. If the argument of today is Justin Fields randomly made mistakes – that he's never made before, and you are not attributing that to the Indiana defensive plan, I have no idea how to argue against that. You think it was pixie dust? You think I think just- Justin Fields – no, I'm just saying Justin Fields had a bad game. As great as he is, he still can have a bad game sometimes. And yeah, I'm saying he just had a bad game. All right, we'll let the listeners decide. That argument makes no sense to me. Some people liked it from the 954. Wow, what a game. Actually nice to have a close game where you just worry about winning in the end. Instead of listening to my buddies criticize every single play, they just shut up and watched. What do you think of that? Do you think, like, I thought it was exciting, right? But I am i don't live and die with Ohio State football. I'm not a fan. I thought it was an exciting football game. I thought Michael Penix played well. I thought Ty Freifogel was, like, unbelievable in this game. I thought Indiana was doing some interesting things. I found it entertaining. Are, do you guys think that there might be Ohio State fans out there who were like, wow, that was kind of cool to be in like a rock'em sock'em Big Ten football game instead of like nitpicking a forty-point win. It made the last thirty-eight seconds of the game fun, so yeah, probably it's it's good football. Well, I mean, it, it was a good football game at the end of the game, so yeah, I'm sure there are fans out there like that. It's better than dealing with Rutgers, where it's just a bunch of trick plays and you're just kind of getting annoyed. With this, this was just Indiana being quality. I do enjoy the fact that Rutgers makes us appreciate everything. God, at least it wasn't Rutgers. Do you think there are Ohio State fans out there, Nathan, having a good time with this one? Yeah, probably. I mean, the, a lot of this game, if you had taken this outcome, this final score, and a lot of the things that happened and had put it on the Penn State game, I don't know that there would be as much consternation still. As much as I know Indiana came in with the top 10 ranking and everything, but I think people, even Ohio State fans, understand that there's supposed to be somebody else in your conference that can push you. There's supposed to be somebody else in your conference that can challenge you and potentially have a chance to almost tie the game in the fourth quarter. Like that, again, think of how far away that is from even saying that somebody was in position to maybe beat you. Like they, Indiana still was going to have to drive all the way down and tie the game late. So it's like, I think there are, there are fans who have that realistic concept that they come out of this game, they respect Indiana for what they saw them do on the field more than they did coming in even. And they, they understand that this was the year, this year that team was Indiana that was supposed to scare Ohio State. It really is difficult because I mentioned this in my pregame hot list on Saturday morning. Ohio State has now won 26 in a row over Indiana. That's twice as long as any other winning streak they have in the Big Ten. So it is hard to, it was harder to get everybody 
to believe in this team. And we t- we said it, I think, last week. I mean, two weeks to talk about this game. If you put Penn State's jerseys on Indiana, everybody's perception would have changed here. If you said right now, Penn State lost to Ohio State by seven in a top 10 matchup and Indiana was 0-5, everybody would say, oh, okay. And it's just that it's the reverse. And it, it did take us a long time. We spent a lot of time talking about fake good. And I think Indiana, at the very least, answered that question. Game nine for Ohio State next year, November 6th, 2021, in Bloomington. And I would expect at this point that when we do the Cleveland.com, tell me, if I'm, tell me where I'm wrong here. When we do the Cleveland.com preseason poll and we do a preseason offensive and defensive player of the year, will not Michael Penix be the preseason offensive player of the year in the Big Ten next year? Yeah. Probably. The only other um, contender I can think of off the top of my head would be David Bell. Yep. David Bell. That's a good mm-hmm. one. Graham Mertz, but Graham Mertz looked bad against Northwestern today. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't so, score with the final three quarters today. I mean, think about it. I mean, okay, if, if you think – if all those people who are worried about what they saw from Justin Fields tonight, take C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller or true freshman uh, Kyle McCord and put him in that game next year in Bloomington and bring that at him 50 times. Which is what we talked about with Indiana beat writer Zach Osterman in the summer, that maybe like next year, 2021, with Michael Penix even more experienced and more of this defense – Maybe next year was the year, and they jumped up and started getting people this year. But that'll be it. And we'll see. There's a lot of interesting games. Tulsa looks really good right now. Tulsa plays Ohio State next year. Oregon, um, Minnesota in week one. I mean, it's just, Ohio State, not that we're looking at 2021 too much. It's going to be interesting. From the 4-4-3, will Ohio State fans blame me if I choose to think about this game as a win over an undefeated top 10 team, despite Fields playing easily his worst ever game, and an incredible game from Penix? Need some positivity in the world somewhere. Would you guys, Steven, is that the advisable take on this game for Ohio State fans? No, it's not. Uh, it's a it's an optimistic way of looking at things, but it wasn't just because Justin Fields had a bad game that Indiana st- stuck around. It played a huge role, but there are some glaring issues that Indiana just shined a bright old light on. So, yeah, sure, you can that can be a part of why – you're a little nervous after this. You can that can be your optimistic take, but that's not good look at this game. And that's what we'll get into in the second half here. I will say this: this was a general overall question I asked the tech subscribers afterward. Do you want to be talked off the ledge in the post game podcast? Here were the answers: fifty percent said, "Try to talk me off with some explanation of what's happening." So yes, that's half the people saying yes. Talk me off the ledge. About a quarter of them, 23% said they're not on the ledge. So that's good. No worries. The Buckeyes won, not on the ledge. That's 23%. And then these were the people who were nervous. So 50% are here to listen. 25%, no worries. Like the other 25% are freaking out. 2% said it's too late. I'm already hanging off the ledge by my fingernails. That was only 2%. But 25% said no I'm staying on the ledge because the issues are real and not going away. So now we're going to make that 25%. We're going to talk about why you're on the ledge. And that's because of this past defense. We're going to take a break. We have a lot of tech survey answers on this. I rewatched all the important throws. We'll break them down. We have a gazillion tech subscriber questions on this. 
We will dive into that next. You're listening to the post-game podcast from Ohio State's win over Indiana on Buckeye Talk. All right, solving problems on Buckeye Talk. I do want you guys to guess on this one. Tech subscriber survey question. What was the biggest factor in Indiana throwing for 491 yards on Ohio State? And I said, we're now, I just reset it over 500 answers in the text from the tech subscribers. That's insane. This is my favorite part of the tech subscription. I should pay these 500 people. I love having an invested, educated focus group because Twitter gives you an indication sometimes, but as with a lot of things in life, I think Twitter gives you a false indication sometimes, like because it's the, the loudest voices out there sometimes. This is really good for us to try to have a handle on where Ohio State fans are. All right, anyway, more than 500 answers. What was the biggest factor in Indiana throwing so successfully? I know it's some of each, but you've got to pick one. These were the choices. Ohio State defensive scheme problems, Ohio State defensive personnel issues, or a great game by Indiana quarterback Michael Penix and his receivers. Nathan, which do you think won the voting? Um, I think the thing that won the voting was B. What was B? Personnel? Uh, personnel. Steven, personnel Person- scheme or Penix? Personnel followed closely by scheme. 57% personnel. 26% scheme, mm-hmm. 17% Penix and his receivers. I do think Penix and the receivers had a lot to do with it. And let me get to a little bit of my breakdown here. I found in the end five. No, I found 11 plays. How many completions did Penix had? Penix had 27 of 51. 27 of 51 of those 27 completions. I found 11 that I thought were directly, directly sort of attributable to something other than normal football stuff. Because listen, sometimes you hit an out route. Sometimes you hit a little swing pass to your running back. Sometimes you hit the tight end over the middle for a couple yards. So 11 of those 27, I thought five of the plays were good IU. And I want to talk about some of the panic stuff first. There was a back shoulder throw to Freifogel early on that I thought was really, really good. I think it was in the first series. Um, really good. Sean Wade yeah. was right there. And Freifogel, just like a ball in the air kind of thing. Really good. There was another play later where Penix was in traffic like a maniac. And it was a play where there was a, a penalty on Ohio State because Baron Browning jumped off sides. But Michael Penix had a million people on him and just hit a sideline throw to Wap Fillier right at the sticks for a 14-yard gain. Unbelievable. Really good. That was quickly followed by just a really nice sideline throw to, to Freifogel, which again is just perfect execution that you want to give credit for perfect execution that a lot of teams wouldn't do. Then there was the crazy Freifogel play on the sideline where like Josh Proctor was with him and fought him every inch for the ball. And like Proctor like went to the ground with him, I think, fighting Freifogel for the ball. And somehow he caught it for a 27-yard gain. And then that was, those were like three straight plays on the same drive. There was a drive that was just like unbelievable Michael Penix and his receivers. I don't think there was anything Ohio State or any defense could have done about it. And that was in the second half when they needed it. It was like mucho respect on that. And then the last one is the 56-yard touchdown to Freifogel that Penix hit on a dime. Sean Wade is draped on Freifogel all the way down the field. 
and he hits him. It's like Sean Wade has inside leverage. He's got Freifogel pinned against the sideline. Penix puts it in the only place it can go. And it's like a battle for the ball in the air. And it's like Sean Wade gets called for pass interference, but they're kind of like hand fighting. Wade falls to the ground and Freifogel catches it and runs in for a touchdown. It was an unbelievable throw and an unbelievable catch. Ty Freifogel is a stud. I had no idea that that dude was like that. So I thought five of those 27 throws were mucho, mucho credit to this passing game. Guys, like how do you put into context what you thought of Penix and these receivers? No, I was, I was impressed as well. Um, and I, I, we said, we kind of started early in the week when we were first talking about Indy. And I guess it was this time last week, we were talking about him in the, the live pod that we did and about how the, the combination of Freifogel and Fillior was intriguing against Ohio state because it was not going to be, could Sean Wade shut down their top receiver? It was going to be, could Ohio state's entire defense match up with, a deep an offense that has this many weapons you know it's that it wasn't just it was gonna be both those guys plus Peyton Hendershot plus you know then you've got the this, this running back coming out of the the, the backfield and making big plays I mean uh, Indiana had a lot more weapons than I think we gave him credit for I thought Fryfogel was very boom or bust but his boom was loud especially in that second half once Indiana got the ball rolling but he did drop the ball in the in the uh, in the the first half he had a few bad moments but then once he they got rolling and once that passing attack got rolling it was pretty much lights out for him the entire second half as a bad drop on fourth down it, yeah. it ended a drive for indiana again where if you want to play the game of like if it should have could have woulda indiana had a ball hit its best receiver in the hands on mm-hmm. fourth down he just dropped it and it ended a drive so so the personnel thing so there's some scheme dust stuff there's some personnel thing let's hit the personnel stuff now though I asked Ryan Day about it after the game. If you have a personnel issue, Ryan Day said, if you have an issue in, a, in, a, in any area, it's either personnel scheme or coaching. So scheme is the, are you, are you not putting, you know, making the right calls and the coaching is, do you have the players, but you're not coaching them up during the week. You're not getting them ready in film study. You're not teaching them the right technique, or is it just the guys this is the personnel. And I, and I said, if it is personnel, what do you do? Like how, how hard is that to make that decision? And he said, you got to play the best guys, but he also said, I, I like, I don't, I don't know if he said, I, I doubt, or I don't think that we'll have to make any changes uh, when it regard in regards to this, this past defense. So I asked the tech subscribers about this again, it's a dual question. And I like to ask these dual questions. Do you think the Buckeyes will make any changes in the secondary by maybe playing Josh Proctor at deep safety or working some young guys into the cornerback mix? And do you think the Buckeyes should make any changes by playing maybe Josh Proctor at deep safety or working some young guys into the cornerback mix? I will tell you that the yes for the should is 90% yes. 90% they should make personnel changes. Only 44% they will make personnel changes. Now the choices were yes, no, and not by next week, but eventually yes. So under the will they make changes, it was 44% yes, 34% eventually, 22% no. Under the should, it was 90% yes, 8% eventually, only 3% no. So let's get to this 216 question. We have talked a lot about Ryan Day being ruthless, but if that's the case, won't this be the end of Marcus Hooker as a deep safety? Nathan, what do you think about specifically about that, the idea of a change at deep safety? 
I, I, you know, I suppose it's worth a try. I mean, I, I said in a, the postgame video that we shot, I mean, I really think the answer on defense is the guys they have have got to start playing better. And I don't know that there is an obvious solution to some of this stuff. I think if Josh Proctor was the better deep safety, they had months to figure that out and they decided on the opposite. Then they're still not really ever using him as a deep safety. And I, I think if that were the obvious answer, if that were, if it was easy as making that switch, they would have flipped that switch already. It does. It's uh, not easy. It's hard. It's not easy. No one says it's easy. But then why haven't they done it yet? If that's, I mean, I, it, it's not like tonight was the first night we've seen this problem. It got I think worse. This problems existed all along. So is uh, your, is your, but do you think there's no, like there's no point in making a personnel change? Cause you think, well, these are the best guys. These are, you're just going to, are you, would you be willing to put the rest of this season on playing the same guys in the secondary and hoping they get better? I'm the one who said all along that the reason this team is not going to would not, not win question. a national championship. Would we be know what you said. We, so, so you're willing to just lose the national championship and not try anything? I just, I, but my the whole premise of what I was saying was I don't know if the personnel is there. I don't know. I don't think that there's better personnel lurking underneath here that makes this secondary better. Why do you? Why do you? So, so you would not make personnel changes. And I know we don't know everything the coaches know, and I get it. They have a bunch of good young players. They just aren't very experienced. They have freaking four stars and five stars every class at every position. But you would not, you don't want to try Lathan Ransom or Legend Cavazos or Ryan Watts or some kind of different thing. You're talking you, about some guys there right now, though, that are just not playing at all. I know. They're not playing at all. So maybe they're good and they're young and it's time to find out if they can be better than this. I would go that far. I would say that it's time to start mixing them in to see what kind of, of response you can get. But you can't make a wholesale shift to these guys who haven't ever been on the field before, I don't think, and expect that to be better. So what would you do? Tell it's me what the, you It's do. the bridge. I, I could see that. I could see that argument to, like, it's time to start getting those guys on the field. But I think, obviously, if these coaches trusted them enough, they would have already started doing that, I think. And I think that there is probably a gap in the – in what these guys physical ceiling is and what their skill ceiling is and what these coaches trust them to be able to do. And maybe that is because of the pandemic and everything that was screwed up and the lack of a spring and the shortened season and all that stuff. There's a reason why they don't trust these guys on the field yet. What would you I do? Think it, wait, wait, I'm going to uh, make Nathan uh, answer. No, a yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. What, who should be, should Marcus hooker play the same amount of steps next week as he played this week, which is basically every snap at single deep safety. No. Who should play instead? Oh, he'll still play the majority of them, but I would still say I could see what you're saying as far as it's time to get guys in there to at least get them on the field because you, ha you have to sort of accelerate the process of finding out what those guys have. But when do you want to find out by? Are you trying to find out by the playoff, by the Big Ten championship game? Or you if you're trying to, trying to get me, like year? you can't, if you want, if you're getting me, to, if, if someone were to come in and say, Lathan Ransom needs to play all of, of, uh, Marcus Hooker snaps next week. That is insanity. That is insanity. There's no way anyone knows that that makes Ohio State's defense better. Would it make it worse? Possibly. It's not like Marcus Hooker's getting burned on literally every play. Just the plays where they throw at him. Steven. So wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now you, so is that what your answer is? My answer is you can't keep putting Marcus Hooker out there like this. You mm -hmm. can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. And I have an example for it. 
but it's, you have to try something different. And what happens with these coaches is they don't want to go to the young guys because they don't believe in them yet, but they are talented young guys on this team in practice who are going to be good players. It's not that they aren't going to be good players. They just think they're not ready to be it until next year. You might need it to be now. And at, at this point, Marcus Hooker is not it. And you are going to drive this team into the ground doing the same thing over and over again. So I'm not saying I know the answer. I'm saying I know what the answer isn't. And it's time to pull the trigger. And I think it's time to pull the trigger at another spot as well. Steven, what would you do? Josh Proctor is my single high safety, and I try Rodney Hickman in Josh Proctor's role. You can't, I, I agree with you. You cannot wait until an ejection happens to find out who your Brendan White is. You can't do that. I'm putting Josh Proctor back there. Ronnie Hickman seems built to play the role Josh Proctor's in right now, and Court Williams probably would have been in that role had he not torn his ACL. That's what they recruited him for. That's what they're recruiting Jalen Johnson for in 2021. I'm putting Ronnie Hickman on the field in that Josh Proctor third-down situation role and trying him out against Illinois, who you know you're going to blow out anyway. And then I'm trying Josh Proctor at single high safety next week. From the 704, how can we keep putting Hooker out there when in games he keeps making big mistakes and keeps getting beat? I just think there's a... I think there's a point when it's just obvious and it's not personal. It's personnel. Like you just, you can't do it. I mean, you can't do it. And it's like, well, he doesn't do it every play. He does it a lot. He does it more than once. And this is very similar. And I'll use this comparison. Someone asked, we talk about the 2018 defense so much. Is this defense a clone of 2013 or 2018? I haven't decided yet. The issue in 2013 was that they gave up too much soft stuff. And I will get into it. I don't think this is a huge scheme issue. But the thing in 2013 that we talk about all the time, and it's why I did make a comparison to the 2013 loss against Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship game, and I actually did not make this comparison, and then someone pointed it out after the fact, and it was very astute by them. But back then, Christian Bryant at safety got hurt. It was a devastating injury in the middle of that season. They played Corey Pittsburgh Brown in his spot. And it was like, he's not it. He's not it. But they kept playing him. And they kept playing him. And they kept playing him. And Corey Pittsburgh Brown got smoked on a play in the Big Ten Championship game against Michigan State that helped swing the game. And in the Orange Bowl, when the shot at a national title was already gone, they finally made a move. And you know who they made a move to finally that they refused to play the whole year. And they finally allowed themselves to play Von Bell. They finally played Von Bell. He picks off Taj Boyd on the goal line. They wouldn't play him. Sometimes these coaches, they all they do is collect talent. And sometimes I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's loyalty I don't know if it's fear of a young guy making a mistake. I don't know if it's that a guy just somebody looks better in practice and they can't get. That was the thing we always heard with Brendan White. It's like, why didn't Brendan White play earlier in 18? It's like, I didn't look great in practice. They can't get away from that. I'm telling you, brother, this is not the answer. What you are doing is not it. So figure out what is it. I don't know if it's legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts and Ronnie Hickman and the Josh Proctor role and Josh Proctor deep. I don't know if it's Josh Proctor staying in his role and Lathan Ransom deep. It's not this. And you're four games in. And if you keep doing this, this might be the thing. And then you're going to look. And then next year, Lathan Ransom's going to be all Big Ten. And you're going to say, huh, mm-hmm. 
huh, maybe we should have played him last year. And if you put Lathan Ransom in against Michigan State and he's terrible, then you go back to Hooker or whatever. But you can't – you have to try. You can't accept this. And there are a million reasons why this is happening, and we're going to get into that a little bit. But I think we are past the point of no return. And I think it's with two guys. I think it's with Hooker especially. It's also true to a lesser degree with Marcus Williamson. Yeah. And so there. now listen, there are not a million options, and there are not a million obvious options, which is why this is not easy. But that's why you get paid $6 million a year. Make a tough choice. Find an answer because this isn't it. Here are the plays. They had five good plays that were Indiana being good. They had five bad plays that were personnel breakdowns. One was a third and seventh throw to Watt Fillier where he ran a little inside route, then cut outside, and Marcus Williamson was gone. Nowhere to be found, got beat. He ran, Fillier ran the exact same route against Seven Banks and also caught a first down pass later in the game. And Seven Banks was all over him and almost knocked it away and like dove for it. On this play, Marcus Williamson was beat. And it was just an an obvious example of, it wasn't a huge game-breaking play, but it was a third down conversion. And it was like, well, if the other team has a good slot receiver, that's a bad matchup for Ohio State if Marcus Williamson's the guy in the slot because it's not going to work out. Another terrible one was... The, 60, the, the terrible deep ball where Seven Banks gets beat. Marcus Hooker comes up, tries to help out on Phil Yor, who's being covered on a shorter route by linebackers. Seven Banks gets beat deep, and it's a 68-yard completion, 60-plus. I don't know if that's Hooker. I don't know if it's Banks getting beat deep, but Hooker didn't help. I don't know if he made the right decision, and then it's on Banks, but it was personnel because your corner got beat and your safety was helping somewhere else. Then you had this one. I think this is a specific thing that I actually think is scheme related, but it was personnel related within the scheme. David Ellis, this running back killed him. David Ellis going out in motion and being outside on a linebacker killed him. And they had one and and Joel Klatt, who I wasn't thrilled with, frankly, on Saturday, we know Joel Klatt blamed Baron Browning and it wasn't. And Nathan, you pointed out it was Taraja Mitchell. Taraja Mitchell is out on Ellis, lets him go thinking there's zone help behind him there. And man, 50-yard gain, 51-yard gain, broken coverage. So that's on Taraja Mitchell, but it's like, is Taraja Mitchell covering a linebacker, or excuse me, covering a running back from empty set out wide? Is that going to like cost you the national title? No. And like Taraja Mitchell was in on that play for Pete Warner, and I'm not sure why. Because Baron Browning and Tough Borland were in the game. And if it's like you're just trying to get a younger guy a set, <clears throat> Please keep in Pete Warner. Can you just keep Pete Warner in? Would that be okay? Just have Pete Warner play every snap. I'm not sure why that was the case, but that was an absolute personnel breakdown. Then you had the trip, the bunch set on the left side where you had Banks, Marcus Williamson, and Sean Wade lined up on three guys. And Marcus Williamson went with the outside guy that seven Banks had and let Freifogel run by himself down the seam for a 63-yard touchdown. Marcus Williamson just didn't cover him. So I get it. It's confusing. That's why they run those bunch sets to try to throw off the DBs. All I know is it clearly was Marcus Williamson's guy and he didn't run with him. So that was another mistake by Marcus Williamson. And then the 38 yard Freifogel touchdown where Marcus Hooker bites on play action, sucks up Freifogel gets behind him. Easy touchdown. So Marcus Williamson and Marcus Hooker, that's 220 yards of passing on five plays that are clear personnel mistakes 
One's Taraja Mitchell that you kind of just live with, I think, and you get better at it. And the other four are Marcus Williamson and Marcus Hooker. And I'm ready for it to end. Now, if Cam Brown was healthy, that would help. He's not. If Tyreek Johnson had developed better, that would help. This is where the recruiting that, that this, is where the recruiting, this is where the recruiting misses come in. The fact that Tyree Johnson hasn't hasn't developed like the five star he was, and also not having a single top one hundred cornerback in twenty nineteen. From the four four zero, from the four four zero, is Kerry Combs over his head, or is this the price for two years of failed recruiting in the secondary? I think it's more the recruiting, Stephen. Do you agree mm-hmm. with that? They're just short there. Clark Phillips would help a lot right now. Right now, yeah, he would. I mean, yeah, that's that's a top one hundred guy. But more the twenty nineteen. Seriously. If they had a top 100 guy in 2019, he'd be a second-year guy that you could easily plug in there. Even with the safeties, Ronnie Hickman's a second-year guy you can easily plug in there. You just have to do it. But missing on recruiting in 2018 because Tyreek Johnson is developing and then not getting a single cornerback, not even not a top 100 guy, just not a cornerback at all in that class, is showing up right here because you have to stick with Marcus Williams. There's another personnel absence of factors in, and we don't – I don't want to – we don't have to go long on this, but I think it deserves to be said is that last year when they needed a slot corner to play after Sean Wade got ejected against Clemson, it wasn't Marcus Williamson. It wasn't even anybody who's on this roster right mm-hmm. now. It was Amir Reap. That's a guy that they could use right now. And Jocelyn Wentz, a safety too, who was involved in that as well. Amir Reap and Jocelyn would have Wentz. Been, would have and, been Frank, role. and at the time, I think when it happened, we downplayed the effect it actually had on the field for this team. Because they were backup guys, and we thought, oh well, the, you know, they've got Ohio State's got other guys that are going to step up, right? And I, I think that we, I think we did a disservice by not uh, we, we either we either uh, gave too much credit to the guys who were coming back, or underestimated the impact those guys could have. So here, here's the deal: Amir Reap is not going to be the difference between Ohio State winning a national championship or not. He would be helpful depth right now. It would at least give you another option. But I still don't know that I'd be happier with that than trying Lathan Ransom or Legend Cavazos, or Ryan Watts, you got to lean on some of these young guys. And I get it. It is stark. The only senior in the secondary is Marcus Williamson. The juniors are Sean Wade, Seven Banks, Josh Proctor, and Cam Brown. Cam Brown's out, and the other three guys are playing. The sophomores who are red shirts are Marcus Hooker, who's not getting it done, and Tyreek Johnson, who has not worked out. And then you're young. Red shirt freshman Ronnie Hickman, red shirt freshman Bryson Shaw, true freshman Lathan Ransom at safety, and the corners are Ryan Watts, Legend Cavazos, and Cam Martinez. So you're asking Lathan Ransom, Ryan Watts, or Legend Cavazos to make a difference here. Maybe you're asking two of them. But I'd ask. I'd ask. I mean, Kerry Combs has said, I mean, he said it for months, or at least weeks, but I think months, that the young defensive backs are going to have to play. I mean, they haven't. But that's bull crap. Yeah, it, it, can't, it can't be. Yeah, it can't be coach play them. They actually have to that's play. That's what now. I'm saying. I'm agreeing with you that oh. it, it can't just be taught. Like if, if what you're saying is correct, that at some point you do have to put those guys on the field and you can't wait for the, the blowout scenario to get them nothing minutes. Like it, this, this season is too truncated. You're going to have to probably try them in some uncomfortable places and see what happens. Cause I think I, you're, you're talking me into your, your side of this, that, that, you can't if you're going to give up the play at least you, you don't have anything to lose by trying to get it done with the younger guy from the four for do you give more opportunities to younger guys or do you try and fix what you have right now i don't like i don't know what the fix is and so i i outlined the five plays that i thought were 
Indiana being really good in the past game. I outlined the five plays that I thought were more personnel breakdown. And then I thought there was only one super duper scheme problem. And it was the fourth down pass to Ellis that went for a touchdown when they, he had Baron Browning on him again. They had, they had these linebackers out wide. And I want to talk about an adjustment they did make there. And Ellis got a pick. The guy that Sean Wade was covering just like, snow plowed Sean Wade down the field 10 yards, but Sean Wade wasn't going to run with Ellis anyway. Baron Brown was supposed to run with Ellis and he just got picked by like two different routes and he was wide open and he caught it on the fourth down crossing route and scored a touchdown on it. If you guys remember that. So a lot of people are asking like, why don't you play more zone? And I talked all week about like, I don't want to play zone against Michael Penix. I want Michael Penix to feel like there are guys draped on his receivers, I don't think anybody would have been happy of like, oh, we're in a zone. Let's let Michael Penix just hit little windows all day. So I get why they're playing man there, but that's a that's like a good call by Indiana. But that's a scheme thing. So if you're going to tell me, no, they should have played more zone against that passing game once Penix started hitting stuff, maybe. But I, but then if he's hitting soft stuff in between the zone, we'd be pulling our hair out too. And the other thing is this, and I don't, we have plenty of time to talk about this. I don't know exactly what it would look like. And again, you're talking about putting more secondary guys on the field when they don't have many guys on the last drive. When Indiana got the ball back, whatever, in the final minutes, they had Ellis out wide again. It's this David Ellis. He's a running back. They send him in motion or they just line him up outside in an empty set. And he wound up, he was really good today. He wound up with four catches for 86 yards. They tried to run a sideline route to David Ellis and the final possession on second down. And it was wiped out because there was a guy running step for step with him. And it's because it wasn't a linebacker. It was Josh Proctor. And they finally stopped putting linebackers on him because of all the things, again, if you want to play, yeah, but with Ohio state, David Ellis made Pete Werner eat his dust on a play. And Michael Penix dropped the ball 35 yards down the field with Pete Warner four yards behind David Ellis, and Ellis dropped it. You guys remember that play? I Hit do. him right in the hands down the sideline. And again, that's Indiana schematically having a running back split out like that and getting singled by a linebacker play after play after play. And it worked. It, it took Ohio State to the end of the fourth quarter to adjust to it, and they locked it down with Proctor. Could Now, here's the other thing, too. What did we talk about? Why did they play double two safeties against Clemson part of the time last year? Because Clemson can throw. They played two deep safeties, like 20 snaps last year when they never did it otherwise. Michael Penix is Big Ten Trevor Lawrence. I'm here to tell everybody. Doesn't mean he's as good as Trevor Lawrence. It means he's a real quarterback. And all we talk about in the Big Ten is you never play a real quarterback. So now you play, and that's part of why you can play single high safety. There's an extra guy in the box. You can blitz the slot corner. You get guys pressed up on guys. You only have one safety deep because you have the three corners in the game and you can still have three linebackers. So you can stop the run. And there was no run game today. But Michael Penix made you play for white play in one deep safety. If this was a dress rehearsal for the playoffs, we know they adjusted to it before. Now, listen, Michigan State's not going to do it. Not going to test you. Illinois is not going to test you. And Michigan's not going to test you this way the next three weeks. You're not going to face something like this again until the Big Ten Championship game, and that's maybe if Peyton Ramsey does it a little bit or if somehow Wisconsin gets back in it. But for the playoff, can you play? Nathan, this is the – can you put Marcus Hooker as the single high safety out there against Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence? 
I, I would, you'd be sick no, to your no. stomach for every snap. So then yeah. the choice is if it's not hooker, do you have to play more to safety? And could you go to that look now? But if you go to that, what does that look look like? Because I think maybe you go Proctor and hooker deep. You have banks and Wade outside. You have Williamson in the slot. Cause listen, a lot of times when you're playing two deep safeties, sometimes you're dropping one of the safeties down to cover the slot anyway. But do you actually play only two linebackers as your base? Do you take Baron Browning off the field a decent amount? If it's first and 10, you're playing Werner and Borland. If it's second and seven, you're playing Browning and Werner. And now you're playing two deep safeties, three corners, and two linebackers all the time. And now they're going to run on you. And now Najee Harris and Travis Etienne are going to run on you because now you've got two safeties deep and you have Marcus Williamson in the box and you're taking out a tackler. But if it's a give and take, I don't know if you have the personnel to hang this defense on a single high safety look unless you make a switch from hooker and that guy proves that you can. Now you could also go two deep safeties, keep three linebackers in the game, and now you put Baron Browning or Pete Warner on that slot guy. But what what failure was the slot a lot today? You want Baron Browning and Pete Warner playing what failure? You've got to have a corner on that guy. So they are Mari Rogers against Clemson. They are putting you in a tough spot, but the way things work today, they had three linebackers on the field. Most of the time, the three corners and the single dip sa- deep safety tough Borland blew up the run game. Tough Borland did his job today. Baron Browning did a pretty good job in coverage. Most of the time, Pete Werner did a pretty good job in coverage. Most of the time when they weren't trying to cover guys 50 yards down the field, but what was the end result? The end result was you almost felt like in the fourth quarter, you were going to lose. Sure. You shut down the run. But I'm not so sure with this pass defense, they might have to go to a look that lets a team run on them, but says, man, you're not getting any more of those 50 yarders. So I don't know exactly what it is. I don't think the scheme right now is killing them, but I'm not sure they have the personnel to play this scheme. So I think you first have to switch the personnel and see if that works. And if you switch the personnel and it still doesn't work, I think you might, by the playoff, you might have to be playing two deep safeties and decide you're going to get run on. I'm out of breath. I mean, when they talk about versatility, to me, to me, versatility means that you maybe this is your base defense, the single high safety with the slot corner. That's your base defense. But when the matchup dictates that you play two high safeties and three linebackers, a more conventional defense, you have the flexibility, the versatility to do that. And then when the matchup dictates that you play uh, more of a nickel defense that you're talking about where you keep the slot and the two high safeties and only play two linebackers, then you do that. I don't understand. It seems like they get, they, they aren't using the versatility that they say they have, which means they then don't really have the versatility. Uh, what would you do, Steven? You go in two safeties. Let me get this quick from the six, one, four, two safeties all day, every day going forward, right? What Combs wants and what day demands may be two different things. Hooker may require a full body aloe bath after that 60 minute burn. This won't happen again. Right. From the six, one, four, Steven, what would you do? Yeah, I, I agree with the two safety look, but if it's still keeping Marcus Williamson on the field and he's still you know, covering slots, which he hasn't done a good job at so far. I don't know if you don't just, I mean, they, Josh Proctor has been working with the corners as well and can cover slots pretty decently. I don't know if you just don't go two safeties and, and three linebackers and then have Josh Proctor cover over that slot corner when he needs to. But so Proctor, well, but here's the issue. Here's the issue. Yeah. Most teams have three receivers in the game all the time. 
So the issue is if you have two deep safeties and it's Proctor and Hooker, but you want Proctor playing like man coverage on the slot receiver, then he's not a deep safety. He's responsible for the slot receiver. Or you're playing some kind of zone or you're playing kind of a hook coverage or linebacker helping with the safety behind it. You can do some different things there. But what you're going to wind up with, if you don't have a corner on the slot, what you're going to wind up with is a combination every snap of a safety or a linebacker helping out on that slot. You're going to pass them off. You're going to do different things. Maybe you drop a D end into a passing lane at times. And if that slot's good, he might kill you all day. And the other thing too, is like, man, put Sean Wade in the slot, but then who do you put the outside corner spot? Cause Cam Brown's hurt. Right. So, I mean, there's, I, I don't know. And there were times Sean Wade was playing some slot stuff. Cause well, it wasn't really slot stuff, but it's like they'd split the running back way out wide. And then Sean's guy would be sort of in the slot. I just, I just don't think they can keep doing this. Like that's the main thing. Right. I I'm just looking, I'm not here to give answers. I'm just here to rip everybody. I'm a podcast host, but I, 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 the idea that they, I mean, it is so frustrating. And I think urban regrets it that they wouldn't pull the trigger trigger in 2013. And I'm, I still don't know why, but they had a guy like Von Bell, who's a superstar in the making and they wouldn't play him. And they kept playing a veteran who wasn't as good and they knew it and they wouldn't pull the trigger. And it wasn't one play that cost them, but it helped cost them. And I'm not saying that if they would have played Von Bell earlier, they would have played for the national championship, but they might have. And then when they played him, he played well in the Orange Bowl, which was an exhibition game. Are the issues in the defensive backfield more scheme-based, talent-based, or player discipline mental errors from the 614? I mean, that's, that's where we started with this. That's where Ryan Day says that's where all these things are. I just really think it's mostly personnel. I really do. I just think they have two guys who are – and, and I'm not, I know it's not all about recruiting. They're like lower recruited guys. You know, they're not running. These aren't top 100 national recruits. They're running out there at safety. You know, Proctor, Proctor was an all, if Proctor was an all American candidate, he would have won the job for Marcus Hooker. So a little bit of this is on Josh Proctor. Then it'd be like, we wouldn't even know how good he is in man coverage in the slot. Cause he'd be the single deep safety and it wouldn't matter. Josh Proctor allowed himself to get beaten out by Marcus Hooker and Marcus Hooker doesn't look like he's very good. So that's part of an issue. And then the corner stuff, if Cam Brown was healthy, listen, listen, man. I mean, I get it. Injuries happen to everybody. If right now, but by the way, Marcus Williamson beat out Cam Brown. Cam Brown didn't win the starting corner, didn't win the starting slot job. If you said right now, what's your deal? Our deal is Wade and Banks outside, Cam Brown in the slot, Josh Proctor, deep safety. That sounds pretty good to me. I think that's what we all thought. It was going to be. Yeah, one thing I'm curious about is, you know, because early on in the, preseason when we talked to them about the safeties and or I guess not early on right before the season where where Matt Barnes said um they're you know we we like Marcus as the deep guy and we like Josh as more of a man situation we think that's where their strengths are where was that was that thought process after the fact when they decided they wanted Proctor's versatility to be able to do the things he's done like what you're talking about today where he was matched up with Ellis on that last play or what he did against Pratt Fryermuth a couple of weeks ago I thought he was huge in that Penn State game defending him um the tight end so did they like him in this that move around role so much that they talked themselves into Hooker as the better guy as the the eraser or was it actually proven that way on the field and that Proctor in this role is how they kept him on the field. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I'm, I want to yeah. know which of those two things it really was. And I'm starting I, to wonder if some of my opinion before is based on them thinking about it one way, whereas it might be the other. It might be that they talk themselves into something that isn't really there. 
I think they thought that they could unlock some things with Josh Proctor and they put him in this role. Cause even when we asked Josh Proctor about it, he was, I'm the one who asked him about it. And he went, yeah, this wasn't the original plan going into it. But when I sat down with Kerry Combs, he kind of talked me into this different role. I think that's well, what it's happened. worked. I mean, he's. I think he's done a good he, job in that yes, role for him. Yes, one hundred percent. They have the best thing something with him, right? They have one hundred percent unlocked something that I don't even think we thought Josh Proctor could do. But that doesn't mean that you didn't sacrifice the single high safety role in order to do it. So the question is, and someone else, it's our, it's our good friend uh, Bill Landis sort of t- hinted around this on Twitter. It's like they have two problems, and Josh Proctor's the answer to both of them. Mm-hmm but there's only one Josh Proctor. You can't cut him in half, but they're also not exactly playing Proctor instead of Marcus Williamson in this slot. He's almost like in that bullet where they go with only two linebackers and there's yeah. five guys and they have guys locked up in coverage. And again, what you're talking about, Nathan, they had Proctor on Ellis instead of a linebacker. They're not playing Proctor instead of Williamson. So our good friends at 11 Warriors, I'll be very curious to see what the snap count total is off this game. But I guess if the question is, like, do you think they would make Proctor the slot corner instead of Marcus Hooker? I mean, instead of Marcus Williamson, because that's not exactly what he is. He's like a safety in the box who's doing some stuff, but he's not that. So what is the, what is the best use of Josh Proctor, not for Josh Proctor, but for this defense and for this team to win? I think, I think the best put, thing is to put him at single high. This is hard. It's probably to put him at single high, but it, it, for the rest of the Big Ten schedule at least. But I think you might have to move him around and you might have to get a guy like Latham Ransom ready to play single high safety. I just think if, if again, it, it depends on which one of those evaluations they're really making. Because if he really is problematic in that single high zone situation, now you want to put him who might be worse than Marcus Hooker on the field in that situation and still have Marcus Williamson as your slot corner. Well, that's, I mean, if he's worse than Marcus hooker and he got it beat out by Marcus hooker. So that's what I'm asking. Yeah. They thought he was worse, but if you put him back there now, it's the assumption. Well, that's true. It's the assumption that he would be better. (laughs) If you assume that he would be better than Marcus hooker as the deep safety, is that what he should play? I think it's possible that it's this. I think it's possible that Josh Proctor's best position is this, Strong bullet safety. strong safety. It's just strong safety, but they don't really yeah. play strong safety. So it's, it's Josh Proctor. It's bullet. It's the Proctor, which actually sounds like a position. Yeah, much better than yeah. bullet. <laughs> he's got like a heck. Said, of, I don't know. He's got a heck of a name that you get for the position he plays. Proctor, like, Proctor he oversees like the test. Yeah, yeah he, he, he seems like a safety. Eyes up. <laughs> yeah. Pencils he down. Makes, he makes big hits. I mean, he, the, the hits he gets off with that. Oh, yeah, he's got a name for safety. I, I am thinking we might be coming full circle back to where we thought things were going to be as far as maybe there are problems with Josh Proctor as the single high safety as exemplified in a couple of times last year, but there's also an upside there that balances out in a way that it doesn't with Marcus Hooker. Josh Proctor's coverage is so tight. Receivers have to ask him if they can go to the bathroom, the Proctor, the new, but I think let's say this. I think it might be something like say that Josh Proctor in that strong safety man coverage bullet slot corner role is a nine out of 10, let's just say. And let's say Josh Proctor as a deep safety is a seven out of 10. But if Marcus Hooker right now is a four out of 10 as a deep safety, then a four to a seven is an improvement. 
And if Josh Proctor in that role is a nine in that hybrid bullet Proctor strong safety slot role is a nine, but you can find somebody else who's a seven, like Ryan Watts or Legend Cavazos or something, then the math is in your favor. Even if Josh Proctor isn't quite as good in the role he's in compared to his other role, I think he might help the defense more, which is why I would like to start this experimentation now. I do not want them to wait until Mac Jones is hitting 360-yard deep balls in the first half. It's like, oh, maybe we should try something else at safety. I, I like that's what I think comes out of this. That's really what I think comes out of this. The, this calendar takes us gets back to what we talked about over the summer with back to the Josh Proctor thing, where this team might give up some more big plays. So you might not need an eraser like Jordan Fuller. You might need a playmaker back there who might be able to get some picks or bat some balls down and eliminate some of those big plays. That's what made you need a Josh Proctor with this, these defensive backs when last year, when you had two first but, rounders, but, you didn't need that. But the whole point is Marcus Hooker's not the eraser. I mean, it's like Marcus Hooker's not a playmaker right. and he's also not reliable. Right. So, so at, least you get, at least with Josh Proctor, you might have the playmaker part if you don't have the eraser part. But I think he, I think he also might be more reliable. Can you not bite and let Freifogel get behind you? Like, can you just not do that? Do you have to get sucked up on the thing? Like, can you just not get like, the guy behind you? And it's, then can you make a tackle? We're feeling some urgency with this, and obviously the fans are feeling some urgency with this because you're into the back half of the season now, and it just got thrown in your face in a really uh, obvious way. I will say that if it comes to, like, if we're in college, if we're in the, the playoff semifinals week, um, which unfortunately probably won't be in a ballroom somewhere, it'll probably be mostly done from our – zooms just like this is um but like and we're all writing our stories all, all all the beats all the outlets of the beat are writing their stories about how ohio state figured out its defense illinois week that that still sounds like a trajectory that makes a lot of sense you know what i mean like there's still three games left in this regular season then you've still got a big 10 championship game against what it looks like is going to be northwestern's offense which is not super dynamic but you still got that's still four more games ahead of you to maybe figure out what you need to do to face Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, whoever's waiting for you there in the semifinals. But let's wrap on this before we get to the thing that we'll end the podcast with. What is their percent belief that they can have that happen? That the scenario just described, Hey, they figured it out Illinois week without making personnel changes. No, I, I, and I see what you're saying, but again, it, to me, Man, it's it's not again. You just look at this roster and you don't have obvious answers. I don't. But think. do you, but do you we think? Do so you just outlined it. You just were very yeah. descriptive. We're they're in a ballroom. We're at our house. We're not get to go. We don't at the fancy hotels. But we're at the playoff, and we're saying Ohio State figured out its defense after Michael Penix picked them apart. They figured it out after that. Is do you think that that figuring it out could include? Marcus Hooker at deep safety, Marcus Williamson in the slot, Josh Proctor in his current role, and that they just got better. Do you think that's a reasonable thing that could happen? I don't. Do I think, I, do I think it could happen? Yes. And I, I think more to the point of what you're trying to get at, and you said it before, and I think part of this was in, in my answer before too, I just feel like coaches are stubborn, and I think that might be the way that they go at this as opposed to, trusting young guys which they're very hesitant to do so i, I think say, if they I, keep this they're not going to win a championship but period. but here's i think this is possible they don't make any changes they keep making the same mistakes and they win the national championship game 56 to 52 
Like that, I think is possible. Yeah, yeah. Like, but like, I don't think they're gonna stop making these mistakes if they don't change some of the guys. I just don't. Is it the end of them? No, I don't think it's the end of them because it wasn't the end of them today. It wasn't. They still and won. They don't, and they didn't have to be. Team. And they didn't even have to be. Fifteen plays better today. They had to be like five plays better today. But I also. I mean, like a little bit of like, I mean, it was, the five plays were horrendous. No, no, no. And I, but, I listen, the, 60% of Ohio State, Indiana went for 491 passing yards. 60% of those were six plays, six passes out of 51 that he attempted. Six of them got 60% of those yards. And I'm not so sure that it's actually not true that they're lucky it was only six. There it might be a version been. where they had. Well, there 10. were drops. Yeah, we talked about the drops. So, uh, Ohio State stats—they keep track of plays. They had ten of them, and they didn't start taking advantage of them until the second half. So, it should have been ten p- big plays that they capitalized on. I wrote about this early in the week when, if you looked at Michael Penix's numbers on just CFB stats or just his raw numbers, his his completion percentage was not outstanding his pass efficiency rating was not outstanding because those numbers included a crazy number of drops that his team had when you went looked at the pff numbers all those numbers shot through the roof because he was better than that and i think those drops cost him again today a little bit i want to hit big plays for 360 yards and they scored on four of them yeah i think lucky it was only 10 it's, it's one of those things, like, I mean, it's easy. When you, you have a number, you could always say, oh, if only we didn't give up that number. And it's like, well, yeah, but what you're lucky, you didn't give up more than that yep. number. So you have to keep that in mind, too. Uh, from the 470, it seems like almost every time Indiana lined up in three receivers in a triangle, the pass was complete. I know most times it didn't result in a big play, but why aren't the DBs doing uh, something to prevent those completions? Why does it seem like there are so many coverage misdirects that the Buckeyes can't handle? I think... I think it's like really, I thought it was like really good Nick Sheridan play design. And I think Mm -hmm. it's some miscommunication, right? With some of those guys, sometimes out of that look, you do wind up if you're in man, if you're in man, you can wind up with some rub routes and stuff. And it makes it hard if you're in zone. Sometimes there can be confusion about if guys cross who's supposed to go where. So I think they're going to spend a lot of time on that. Right. And I get it. It's hard. A lot of this is hard because it's both early and late. It's only the fourth game. It's also more than halfway through the season, so like the regular season. So it's very hard. Listen, you know, Marcus Williamson hasn't played much. Marcus Hooker hasn't played much. And we're grilling them. But it's go time. It's Bright Lights Big City. So I don't know what the, what the answer is off of that. But Indiana figured something out. And I think that's a little bit of a tip of the cap there. So I think we have to acknowledge that. I do want to get to this specifically about Kerry Combs before we get to some title talk at the end from the five, one, three, I swear to God, you guys have to hammer Ryan day and Kerry Combs about how dog poop this secondary is. This is pathetic. That's are- not what it is, that, it is, says. It, is. that what he said? Is that what he said? I don't want to say what he said. <laughs> it's, it's the naughty word. It was a cow poop. Yeah. It was Guinea pig poop. Uh, <laughs> This is pathetic, all caps. They are playing on their heels, looking flat, and they've successfully used the same bunch pick formation three or four times. If you don't hammer him on this, then shame on you. If you're the voice of the fans, then you have to ask that. So we didn't get Kerry Combs, uh, and we did get Ryan Day. 
And I did think that Ryan Day, again, very quickly went to the, hey, it's a pandemic. We haven't played in two weeks. Stuff is crazy. They're a top 10 team. We got to win. I thought, Nathan, he was not really wanting to go right into there's a million things wrong with this team. He really went hard early on on the, hey, it was nice to win this, right? I am. Yeah, they have gone a little bit too far. And I saw there were assistant coaches tweeting about this later. They're going a little bit too far for me on this. I sympathize. I do with the fact that they can't see their families, that they're sequestered. I know, but it's also a choice that they're making to do that, to get through this. So I don't need to hear about it. Every time we talk to Ryan day, I just don't, I'm sorry. I just don't like, they're all making this choice. That's what they're doing to try to get to play football. And you know what else? Every team in the country is doing it. Indiana is also doing this. So I don't know that that really explains why you might have had a lackluster performance today because Indiana went on the road, had, spending probably even less time with their family around the holidays. Actually, it's not true. They all, have, they all get to spend no time with their family around holidays. But you know what I'm saying? Like, everybody's going through this. So, you know, they handled it seven points better than Indiana did today, which I guess is all that it takes. But that's he has to know that's not what his program is judged by. You're not supposed to give up 491 yards at home passing to anybody. I'm tired of that excuse. Honestly, I, I get it. Uh, yes, that's a real thing. But I mean, Clemson had another game that's postponed. So they're, they're without their starting quarterback for a third consecutive week. They're not the only people going through this. As Nathan just said, Indiana is dealing with the st- same stringent rules that the Big Ten has put down on Ohio State. So I get it. Yes, it's, it's hard right now for you. It's hard for everybody. Everyone's living in a pandemic. But that can't I'm just I'm, t- I'm over that excuse at this point. So a couple of things that are true is that Penn State's 0-5. Penn State's 0-5. And as we record this podcast, Michigan is losing to Rutgers. So those are all facts. So by the way, it's also one of those things where it's like, it's hard on everybody. And Ohio State is handling it better than most. They're 4-0. They're going to be third in the playoff rankings on Tuesday. Like they're doing great. But the standard is super high. And... They had some bad things that happened today. So I, on some level, I buy, though, we won, didn't we, part of it. But on some level, we also understand that this is not the threshold. The threshold is Bama and Clemson and Notre Dame and the national championship. And the idea that if your pass defense doesn't play better than this, you're not going to win the national championship. That's why we're all here. And nobody's going to apologize for that. And if Ohio State didn't hold itself to that standard, it wouldn't be Ohio State. But I do think Ryan Day is very purposeful with that. And I, I do get this. Here's what I get. If those coaches are doing that publicly more than ever because they are desperate to show faith and belief in their isolated players, I get it. We can, we can handle that. We can, the fans and the media can be frustrated by what sounds like excuse making. I get it because, yes, it's happening to everybody, but it's also happening to them. And that individual player probably wishes he could go hang out with his parents after the game more than he could. And he probably wishes that he could go hang out with his friends or hang out with his girlfriend or do all that kind of stuff. And I get that it's hard, but we're not going to stop. That's the thing here. It's like, we all get it. As long as they don't expect us or the fans to stop asking questions because the threshold is the national title. It really is. And Ryan day said it when he called this a once in a lifetime team. So once in a lifetime team, can't settle for a pass defense that might give up 794 passing yards to Trevor Lawrence. So I get it. But in terms of hammering Kerry Combs, in terms of hammering Kerry Combs, we didn't get Kerry Combs. 
what is the line of questioning when we do talk to Kerry Combs, if we do talk to Kerry Combs? I am very interested in, are you willing to make personnel changes? I am curious about the, what do you think about going to maybe a too deep safety look to give yourself a better chance against some of these deep throws? And I do think there's something of like, why do you sort of keep winding up in this position where you're giving up these big plays? What, where are you falling down as a coach? Like what, but I don't, I, here's the thing about 2018, the scheme that Greg Shiano was trying to run in 2018 was like, just not working. They're playing two deep safeties, but the linebackers were all over the place. Like their idea was wrong. I, I don't think the idea is wrong here. I think it's possible. It doesn't fit the personnel if you decide you can't play single high safety. So I don't think you can be so dedicated to that no matter what, if you don't have a guy you trust back there. But I don't think that the scheme is as broken as it was in 2018. But Nathan, if we were talking to Kerry Combs, where would you want to go with questions for him? Well, I think we, as a beat and us specifically in a couple of occasions tonight, we're asking questions of other people that we wish we could ask Kerry Combs. Like I specific, I asked Baron Browning, like, are you guys getting the competition in practice that you need of guys who would potentially be answering maybe the question that you were trying to ask before the, 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 the topic we were trying to get at before, like, is there, are there other options on this defense? And are you guys not, why aren't you finding them? That's really more of a question for Kerry Combs than it was for Baron Browning. I tried to ask it in a in a way that a player might be able to give me a response to, which he kind of did, but I think it's a better question for Kerry Combs. Like you said that there was depth here. You said that these guys are gonna have you got you guys were getting these guys ready to play in case somebody tested positive on the day of a game. Well, Marcus Hooker has tested positive for not being able to play safety very well in the Big Ten. So does it somebody else ready to step up in that position? You're not going to write that, are you? That's so mean. I'm not going to write that. I, there are things that I will say on a podcast <laughs> that I will not put to paper. But I, that's actually not that insensitive. It's a little. It's it's, it's a little. It's, it's borderline little insensitive, but it's, it's on mean. the it's on the right side of the border. Like I'm not going to get my toe shot off. I'm I'm still on the right side of the border. Marcus Hooker took an antigen test and tested positive for biting on play action. Um, okay. That's Where would so you? But, I, but 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 that logic I think follows through though. If you're telling us that you you're getting guys yeah. ready, you 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 had to get guys ready for every scenario that could possibly come up. The scenario that's come up is you've got defensive backs who keep giving up 50 yard touchdowns. Right. Yeah, I, I do think there's a way. You, you you're basically asking who are some of the without saying. Without you're asking that question, you have to ask it in a way where you're not just going to get them to rattle off a list of names like this is the preseason, and you're just trying to say, "Hey, this guy apparently looks good in practice." Because at this point, it can't just be a list of Legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts needs to step up. It, I mean, they have to actually have some detail into that. And are they actually doing that in practice? And then, if so, then why are they not getting an opportunity? And then I also I think. I think at this point you question what was the decision behind putting Josh Proctor in the role he's in. Obviously it's working for Josh Proctor. That's not a problem, but why go that route instead of what we all thought he was going to be the high safety. What changed? Yeah. Okay. Quick break. We'll wrap up. We'll be right back on Buckeye talk. All right. Last couple things very quickly. Survey question, what is your level of concern in the end? What is your level of concern about the Ohio State pass defense? I, I usually usually like asking you guys 
what your guesses are for the answers, but it's so close here that I'll just tell you. The choices were freaking out. Ohio State can't win a title like this. Very worried, but maybe the offense can carry the Buckeyes. Worried, but it can get better with personnel changes or better play. And not worried, nobody can play defense this season. Not worried got 2%. So not worried is not where people are. I would have bet the under on that. Yeah. Yeah. 35% very worried, which is the middle of the worries. 32% freaking out, 32% worried. So basically a third, a third, a third. And nobody's saying it's fine. But a third, a third, a third between freaking out, very worried, and worried. Does that sound about right to you guys? I mean, sometimes, again, you read Twitter or you go through a couple of the people who decided to send in text, and it's like, oh, I think it'd be 80% freaking out. But that it's a third, a third, a third. Does that sound about right to you, Nathan? Yeah, because I think all of us at one point tonight probably were somewhere in one of those thirds, right? Because you could actually – I mean, something we haven't talked about tonight, I thought the defensive front played really well tonight. For the most part. I mean, they, they shut down Indiana's run game. Not that Indiana necessarily has that much of a run game. I thought the defensive front played pretty well. I do think they need to get home on these on their pressure a little bit more. But I thought the linebackers played pretty well. I think the defensive line is playing pretty well. So it's not it's not an entire defense that's a problem. It really is just the back end of this defense. So And I also think that it is – you can talk yourself into a place where it's just if you correct if you correct a handful of plays, it doesn't look like this. What do you think about freaking out? Did you expect more freaking out, Steven? Yeah, because I, I thought we'd get a lot more. I'm freaking I'm on freak out mode because I've been worried about it for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. And all of my worst fears just came to life this week. Yeah, it didn't come out of nowhere. Speaking of the pressure, I'm not sure if I agree with you, Nathan, from the 614. We don't seem to be getting much pressure to get to quarterbacks and make them get out of sync. Is that an overreaction? It's like I can think of a couple. You know, they had that they had the sack late that was really important that I think went to Warner. Cooper had pressure, I think, one time. I think Zach Harrison might have gotten got in there one time. Yeah. Penix also hung in really well and hung in against some pressure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it did not feel to me like Michael Penix was running for his life. And they were not just getting the ball out of his hands because some of these big plays they hit took a little time to develop. They're not getting, I mean, there's not Chase Young. This is not any news to anybody, but they are not getting the type of pressure that they basically have gotten for like the past five years. I don't know that it's terrible, but it's not, it's not great. Right. No, And I even said before, like if, if a, if a team's going to drop back 51 times, like you've got to sack them more than twice. Like that's just, that's a bad ratio. That's a bad ratio in college football, 51 dropbacks and you got the guy twice. And it's not that mobile of a guy. He's just not like he doesn't have a history of, of, of running. Um, so I agree. And I said that earlier, like you've got to get home more. I think they are affecting plays with their pressure and they're not really blitzing very much to try to do that. And in fact, they really, really can't afford to blitz to try to do that. Um, but I think you're right. I think they do have to they do have to they can create more and they have to create more. And that was what I was saying before, that when they shut down half of the house, when they shut down half of Indiana's offense, that's what it felt like would happen next. That when you're forcing them into such disadvantageous passing situations that you could bring more pressure and you would get to him more often and they would just kind of domino effect. And the opposite happened. They seemed to, the more that you left them back there to just throw that almost played into Indiana's hands today because the back end of this defense was so bad. He was also, I mean, Michael Penix was 53% today. It's not like he was out here 
throwing 80%, complete 80% of his passes. I think it's fine for a defense. You're right. It doesn't look the same as it has the last five years, but they also don't have a top three pick on the team like they have for the last five years. So it, I think it looks fine for a team who doesn't have that. But that's the whole point. They don't have it. Is it okay that they don't have it? They usually have it. I think it, it's similar to what we were talking about earlier this week with the offensive line. It's like if it, it, it's, it's good – but does it need to be better than good in order for this team to get where it needs to get? The comparison here is only, it's just a comparison to themselves. I mean, it really is. Yeah. And it really is. I mean, it's just showing up, you know, they don't have a chase young. They don't have a JK Dobbins. They don't really have a Jeff Okuda, or at least they don't have the Sean Wade in the slot. If Sean Wade's the Jeff Okuda, I mean, there's just, they don't have a Jordan Fuller. I mean, I think, I think the spots where, again, we talk about all the time, there's always another recruit. There's always another four-star top 100 guy in the pipeline. But there are some of these guys are not filling the roles of really good guys from last year. And again, I, I, I think if we – this is not a question. It's not exactly the point. I think it's moderately clear that the 2019 team was better than the 2020 team. I think the 2019 team would beat the 2020 team. But Ohio State doesn't have to be better than last year to win the national title this year. Can there be something said to Jeff Okuda wasn't Jeff Okuda in 2018. So there was no Denzel Ward, which they had in 2017. And Jeff Okuda was on that 2018 team as a sophomore, but not fully realized yet. Back to the Zach Harrison thing. Can that be what we see going on in the defensive I don't care, line? Is- but I'm not talking about the future. We're talking about right now. I get it. If your point is that Zach Harrison might be better later, and that should seven banks might. Yeah, I agree. But they're trying to win the national title right now. We're holding them to a national title standard right now. So nobody like you're not disputing that, right? They don't have it right now. Do they? Oh, no, no, I'm not. Okay? disputing That's that. the point. I don't care about the future. We'll care about the future when this season's over. We care about the future all the time. They're a little short in a couple spots, which means Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave and Justin Fields have to drag this team to a national title. And guess what? They might. They, might. they really might. They really, 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 really might. Last two questions. Doug, how in the world do you think this is a national championship team from the 614? Because of that. Because of that. Which is why the defense stuff that happened today was bad, but not surprising. The Justin Fields stuff that happened today, the mistakes he made were bad and very surprising. So it's kind of like, whoa, Justin Fields isn't perfect? Holy moly. And they still won. They did still win. I'll tell you what, we have not mentioned this yet. And we have to talk about it at some point. Maybe you can reach out, Stephen, for real this week to your guy, Maurice Claret. Mm-hmm. The Julian Fleming strip after the interception was unbelievable. That is going to be in my observations in the morning. It is the Maurice Claret strip on Sean Taylor. It is a game-changing play. It is two. Write this down, Nathan. You can include this in your observation. It is two highly recruited, big-time offensive freshmen making a yeah. heads-up defensive football play in the moment. When you because need it. a play went wrong and they did not give up on it. So the best thing Julian Fleming has done so far as a Buckeye is acting like a defensive back. But that dude who has not had this season go as he thought it would, he could have pouted after that pick. He could have, I'll try to tackle this guy. That guy went for the ball. That's a football play. 
by a football player who had a drop the last time he was involved in a play for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And on a day when they needed him, he picks up his quarterback after a pick and knocks the ball out. That is an unbelievable play, play by a freshman. And I, I want to make sure we don't lose sight of it. I do want to answer this for the title team thing, though. That's what I still believe. And I've said it a million times. It throws off the analysis of everything else because I have a headache from yelling so much about this stuff. And it's very possible that every single thing I have yelled about so far doesn't matter because Justin Fields might throw for 900 yards in the playoff. And Garrett Wilson might have six touchdown catches in the playoff. And Chris Olave might have 321 receiving yards in the two playoff games. And it might be that nothing else matters. Master Teague will do enough. The offensive line will play well. The defensive ends will get a little bit of pressure. The secondary will give up some stuff, maybe a lot of stuff, but not enough to lose. And that is why I think this still might be a title team. Is there anything else out there, guys? Or do you agree with, so the choices are agree with what I said. B, there's another thing that you think about, which is why they could win the national title. Or C, you really don't think it. You actually are really starting to lose faith in the idea that they could win it. Steven, you first. No, I agree with you. 15 catches for 270 yards on 19 targets. That's going to be every game. I mean, I, that, that is, this is, I don't, this, what Justin Fields did today, I'm not worried about. He's not going to do that again for the rest of this regular season. And I, but Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to keep doing what they're doing every single game. Nathan? So, yeah, my, my confidence in Ohio State being able to win a national championship has decreased since the start of the season, only because I thought they were starting at a baseline defensively and improving. That was what I assumed would happen, and I don't believe that that's necessarily happening on the back end of this defense, obviously. I think that kind of goes – that might be the understatement of the weekend. So that has given me some I, – I, I, I think that's cause for concern. But I think you may ultimately, though, be right, that, that it may end up being that this doesn't necessarily matter that much um, in terms of their, their team ceiling. That, yes, they're going to give up these points, and that they could improve – and still give up a lot of points when they play better competition and the offense will still carry them through. So the last question, I think it's a good one from the 614. Is the Indiana passing game anywhere close to the Clemson and Alabama passing games? So we're talking about Mac Jones, who's been playing great for Alabama. Uh, Devonta Smith, great. Jalen Waddell is hurt. They think actually there's been some talk. He might be back for the playoff, which would be quite a game-changing thing. Um, John Mechie, the third, has been a really good – he's their second receiver now. He'd been their third receiver. And then the difference is that both Alabama and Clemson have a run game on top of the pass game. So we know Trevor Lawrence. We know Amari Rodgers. We know that um, – who's the guy who's out for the year for Clemson? What's his name? Justin Ross. Justin Ross out for the year. We know. So I actually think, like, Penix played so well today. I'm not going to sit here and say Michael Penix is as good as Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones. That was excellent, though. And he didn't complete, like you said, he completed half his passes. But the ones he did complete were, like, really quite impressive. Freifogel's got my attention, man. And Fillior, I mean, that was like that's like K.J. Hill kind of stuff, like really good football player kind of stuff. So, like, I don't think that Alabama or Clemson's passing game is, like, five times better than Indiana. I, th I think it's probably better, but I think – I think if you think Mac Jones and those receivers or Trevor Lawrence throw into anybody, if they're tens, 
I think Indiana today might have been like an eight and a half. Like that was a really good look for this Ohio State defense. The difference is you will not be able to take away the run game against Clemson and Alabama the way you wiped out the Indiana run game today. So it was a great look for the pass game, not a great look in terms of an overall offensive threat. Nathan, what do you think of just the comparison that what still might be out there for Ohio State? No, That was exactly the point I was going to make, that if you give them 16 carries or 14, if you take away the two sacks, they ain't getting only one yard or whatever it would, whatever it be if you put in the sack yardage back in. Eight yards, whatever it be. Like, you know, you're not holding them down. You're not destroying their run game like that. They've all got running games. They've got – legitimate running backs they got better offensive lines probably than indiana's got you're 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 not going to do that you're going to have an even bigger offensive problem because um i think those guys obviously are are as good as Penix, if not better and then augmented by a running game it's a problem right now i'm having watched those two teams i would say yeah with Najee harris yeah you're not taking away that running game he's gonna do whatever he wants with travis Etienne, though i think with, with Ellis, what they were doing with him, with putting him on the linebacker and putting him outside and creating those mismatches, that's where Travis Etienne becomes a problem because he hasn't ran the ball well this year, but he's been doing that excellent, especially in those games where Trevor Lawrence was out and they had to have uh, DJ in there. So that's where he becomes an issue if he gets involved in that passing game and you do have Pete Warner on him on the all the way on the outside. He's getting, he's getting dusted. That's where that becomes a problem. So I do think there are some things that Ohio State can learn off of this, but you've got to learn and then you've got to make a decision about stuff. Like, I don't think it's, there's no point in learning if you don't change anything. So like, they've got to learn and then they've got to, I think they've got to make changes. And I think most of the people listening to this would agree they've got to make changes. Um, And I'll be curious to see what they do. I have doubts. I do have doubts. I have doubts about whether they'll pull the trigger on it. Um, But I would. So I enjoyed, I, I, I think it's interesting to talk about this stuff. I think our texters are really smart about this and they help us sort of get a sense for what people are thinking. I understand the anger, but it's not only anger. You know, there are a lot of people out there who still think Ohio State's a really good team who are not on the ledge. So listen, like I, I don't know if we can talk you off the ledge of like, everything's fine with the pass defense, but I think we can talk you off the ledge of like, it does happen. They do have some options, not great options, not obvious options, but they have some options. And in the end, it's still possible that even if the defense doesn't get much better than this, Justin Fields, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson might be able to overcome it. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. Drop a podcast review at Apple Podcasts. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Thanks to everybody who took part in the survey. Thanks to everybody who sent texts in after the game. I will go through and read them all, and I'll try to respond to as many of you as I can. It's a, it's a great, fun, weird season. And I do think in the end, we have to remember they're 4-0. Nathan, very quickly, last thing, and Nathan only, because he's our voter. I don't care about your vote, because your vote is, frankly, meaningless. Where will Ohio be in the playoff rankings that come out on Tuesday? Where do you think the committee will put them? Ohio University? Did I say Ohio? Yeah. <laughs> they will not the, be in the top four. That was the Brady Hoke in me. I got a little be Brady like Hoke fit- in me. They'll be fifth at best. Um, they'll be third. I mean, Alabama will be one. Notre Dame has beaten Clemson. That's a better win even than this one for Ohio State. Although I think this win almost helps solidify them as the three because I think this win, um, I, the, the committee, as we talked about before, last year did not really care about Indiana at all. I think this year they'll have respect for Indiana. I think this win will mean a little something for Ohio State. I think Indiana is going to be in the top ten. 
mean, oh, yeah, they, were, yeah. they, they were in the top 10 coming in. I don't know what the voters are going to do with them, but you only lose by a touchdown in Columbus and you look pretty good. I think Indiana is going to be in the top 10. And I think the committee will treat this more as a very, as a, as a win over a good team and not a what's wrong with you. What's wrong with your secondary kind of thing. I, I, I thought, I think Indiana gained some respect and Ohio state will absorb a tiny bit of that. I think it's possible that Indiana could be ahead of the, the Cincinnati's, the BYU's, those kinds of teams in the playoff ranking when it comes out on Tuesday. Yeah, I think I think that's very possible. Indiana, or Cincinnati almost lost to UCF today, held on yeah. and, and got that win. All right, thanks, everybody, for being part of it. We had a fun time talking about it. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. We'll see you soon. Rutgers to the house against the fighting Wolverines. I wonder what that postgame pod is going to be like at MLive.com. Can I get on the Harbaugh Zoom? Who wants to get on the Harbaugh Zoom tonight after this one? (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. Thanks, guys. For Stephen and Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk.